Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media shop where we sell expert dis dissection and discussion of, of Ward, uh, Wabbles Return to the World of Bear Humans. My name is Matt Freeman and uh, uh, this is my co-worker, Scott Daly. Matt, the doors are chained shut. The whole place is filling with smoke. <laughs> oh my God, is that guy dead? Scott, what are we going to do? There's fallen everywhere. Oh no, Scott, he's got me. Yeah, Scott, he's got a gun to my head. He's saying, he's saying to start the show. I'm so sorry. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Waspo's world of expensive imp jokes, dream vision potpourri, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week on the show, we are continuing to explore what comes from within with chapters 16.7 and 16.8. Well, Matt, they're doing it. <laughs> they're actually, they're actually going to do this terrible dream room idea. But not before some cool conversations about past heroes and villains and some cool trigger visions of past and of present heroes and, and villains. Matt, what did you think of these two chapters? Well, these are great. I, I, once again, this is one of those weeks where I'm really happy that we were able to pair up these particular couple of chapters because it really feels like we're laying some specific groundwork in terms of certain conversations and certain character beats in 16.7 and then those pay off in a big way in 16.8. And of course, yeah. on top of that, 16.8 is, you know, one of those chapters where when you look back over the entirety of Ward, I think you're going to remember that as one of the the, the highlights. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, just like emotionally devastating, just like a, a lot. There's a lot going on. There. There's a lot of detail. Um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it reminds me of a lot of the interlude chapters in terms of variety and, and interesting things being done. Um because we are sort of swapping around perspectives, yeah. but but sort of not at the same time. Um, very unusual chapter, and, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, and, and like I, I hinted at at the, <laughs> the the very first part of my intro, I really like how we're we're doing this very specific thing. Where in this first chapter, we have Aiden talking to Victoria about each and every one of these old capes and what they were like before and wanting to know that. So we're getting this kind of one perspective on what these people were like. And then in this next chapter, we're getting a perspective on what people went through with a different group of people. And I just like that, that comparison between those two. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. We're looking to the past, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In both great. ways we are. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Scott, uh, some quick announcements before we get into the show. Uh, first of all, uh, once again, reminding everyone the fan art contest on the topic of reflections is due uh, September 30th at midnight Pacific Standard Time. 20 please, days. Yep, 20, 20 days left, folks. Uh, please check out the official rules in the show notes below. Mm -hmm. And um, once again, we are doing a mailbag episode, not next week, but the week after, because I will be out of town 
at uh, a film festival for that week. And so we won't be able to do norm- normal episodes. So we thought we'd do a mailbag and um, we are asking you guys to send in your questions to us via email this time around. So send them to gotwormpod at gmail.com and you can send them anytime you want. Um, and, and basically anything's fair game here. Any of the books we've covered, um, if you want to ask just like random other questions, it's been a while since we've done that on this show either. So it doesn't have to be about Worm and Ward if you just want to ask us some random stuff. Uh, yeah, just just wanted to put out some content on a week that we couldn't do the show. So message us at gotwormpod at gmail.com and just put the word mailbag in the subject and we'll know what it's for. Yeah. All right. Let's get on into it. 16.7. All right. We uh, So the joint Bad Ideas Brigade <laughs> convoys their way back to Breakthrough HQ. Tattletail gives Darlene a chewing out in one car while Victoria is crammed in with Natalie, Kinsey, Candy and Aiden. And I just I just love this setup as just like this general like like mom Victoria is driving in this car and all the kids are like in the back seat, like chattering amongst themselves. Um, and it kind of escalates and moves and she has to get involved. And it's just like a funny kind of standard type of like normal interaction that, of course, is tinged with Cape weirdness. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, we have moments of Natalie being like, let's talk about something cheerful. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, absolutely. A, a very interesting and, and kind of comedic tone that they're going for here. There's some heavy stuff there, too, but there's oh, yeah. definitely a lot of comedy. Yeah, I, I think that's like the the juxtaposition there is, is really funny because like you could imagine a, a time where Victoria or Natalie just goes, OK, let's sing a, a happy driving song or something. Um, yeah, but that's mixed right. in with the fact that these are these are kids, but they're kids that have gone through and seen things that nobody should ever have to experience in their entire life. Um, so it's like a mixture of that. Hey, they're kids, but also Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So the kids are having a conversation that revolves around the concept of insider versus outsider. Uh, Chicken accuses the local kids uh, who swim in the swimming hole near the uh, near the heartbroken compound as being outsiders. And Candy points out that he's more of an outsider than they are because he's not really in the family, which uh, makes his head explode figuratively. Um, so, you know, other than this being a very realistic kind of conversation for preteens to have, it is the kind of thing that preteens are usually kind of uh, fixated on. Yeah. I, I wonder if we can dig into it more. Oh, so like I bet my so. first thought, yeah, of, of course we can. <laughs> my first thought is like, okay, the dream room, everybody's about to make an unwelcome splash in the deep end of the shard pool. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I mean, I think just like this general concept of insider outsider uh, status being a matter of perspective is something that maps up to a lot of what we've talked about over the course of this book. And we're kind of seeing that that introduced to us again here, um, how perspective shifts, how just a shift in perspective, like kind of mutates how you view a certain interaction. Aiden sees these people as the outsiders because from his perspective, they are. But from their perspective, he is the outsider. And I think that's that's really interesting, um, especially since we're going to we're going to have a bunch of characters jump into the shard world in the next chapter in which grasping self is there waiting to fuck them up. Um, And I think that you could you could you could stretch an argument there to say, Hey, you know, from their perspective, this shard thing is the outsider that has invaded their minds. But from the shards perspective, these people are are invading him him now. Right. They're like, what are they doing here? They're invading me. And like, it's just this outsider insider dynamic thing is very interesting in, in that reflection, I think. Yeah, it almost I mean, the way you phrase it just there almost made me suspect that there's something more complicated going on like we're, we're going to be surprised by something that we find um in um in the shard world you know yeah I, I would be 
not disappointed, but I would be surprised if things aren't more complicated. Like the whole, like the, we, this, this idea of the shards and what's going on with the shards now. And, and the fact that the shards have suffered their own kind of version of trauma, even though they are not human and don't process things like we do, um, has been this kind of ongoing beat behind the scenes of the story. And I, I would be very surprised if that is not addressed in some way in these chapters when they're directly contacting this thing in a way that they never have before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. Interesting note though, in the whole chicken littles evolving power game thing that we've been tracking throughout this, mm -hmm. he like makes a, a head explode noise when he's like talking about like how, what candy just said to him, like blew up his brain and it makes his birds freak out. And yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because I, I read that and then I read this in the script earlier and only now am I making the connection that like, oh yeah, that's what Taylor always used to do. Uh -huh. She used to offload her emotional displays and her emotional kind of uh, embodiment, if you will, into her, into her swarm. And here yeah. we have uh, Aiden like unconsciously inadvertently using his birds as a way of expressing his emotions. Exactly. Uh, just the way she did. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So yeah, chicken asks of Victoria, a bunch of questions about protectorate heroes. He asks about arms master, dauntless miss militia. Um, and then he asks about Rachel and uh, Victoria admits lies and, and says <laughs> that she likes Rachel now. Um, but um, definitely doesn't approve of her villainy. It's a very mom moment. I think you're being unfair to Victoria a little bit there, Matt. Um, I mean, I don't think she's lying. Well, see, I'm, I'm not convinced that Victoria likes Rachel. I think that she's come to a, a place where they can work together, you know? Sure, sure. I, I mean, mean, am I wrong? No, I, I think Victoria has a very complicated relationship with her, as she does with anyone who used to be a not great person back in the day and has uh, taken steps Um and so, so that's, uh, that's, it's, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, but before we dive into this and really talk about what they talk through each individual person, eventually leading up to, uh, Taylor herself, um, I want to kind of talk with you about like maybe taking a step back and looking at what chicken little is doing here overall, because so we're, they're in the car, they're on the way to, to do this dream room idea that they have no idea if it's going to work. They have no idea what it's going to do. They really have very little plan here. And in this moment, chicken little is pulling Victoria aside almost and being like, Hey, talk to me. You know, all these old capes, right? Tell me what they were like. Talk to me about what they're like. Uh, what was Dauntless like? What was Miss Militia like? What was Arms Master like? And he, he says when he's get, getting to talk about Rachel and, and the rest of people he knew he knows personally now are if I don't ask in a moment like right now, I don't think anyone's ever going to tell me. And I mean, there's a certain finality to that, right? Like there's certain, you know, stakes setting like he's asking questions because he doesn't think he's ever going to get an opportunity to ask these questions again. But thematically, I mean, what do you think we're doing here? I think this is really interesting. Yeah, um, I mean, we're we're definitely contextualizing everything by referring back to the past and where everything, where everyone came from, reminding us, you know, it, it, like Dauntless is being brought up here too, right? Like that that's definitely important. We've got the Dauntless sure. Titan thing. We've got you got Arms Master who underwent a big character change and got a whole different name. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, what do you think? I mean, I just think like we're in this moment where we're looking at 
what the world was like before. Like, what was the world like before this event happens? Um, who are these people before all this bad stuff happened? And and the curiosity of a person who really doesn't remember what the world was like before crazy shit went down, um, I think comes through at a moment where more crazy shit are about to, uh, is about to go down, right? Like, there's this curiosity. Like, the world has ended. We are living past the apocalypse, Um what was it like? Tell me about it. Tell me about the world. Tell me about the people of the world. What were they like? I want to know. I want to hear about these things. Um, I think there's an, an innate curiosity there, especially as this version of the world might be ending as well. You might be moving to a new age, a new type of existence. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like that. I mean, I was kind of fixated on the idea that he's being so like wide eyed and um, uh, just kind of naive almost in the way he's asking these questions just mm-hmm. he's, he's very open about it right and that and that's normal because because he's a kid it yeah. reminds me of when i was probably like nine or so and um i saw something on like the news about how these meteors were going to hit jupiter which actually did happen but then it was going to cause like a shockwave that was going to destroy everything in the solar system and we were all going to die <laughs> okay. and and i was like kind of upset but kind of excited too at the idea of this mm-hmm. And I was, and it just kind of the headspace that Aiden is in is very, uh, reminds me of kind of the, the weird, <laughs> uh, the weird giddiness at disaster that I, that I remember being able to have when I was a kid. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, one thing he's explicitly doing is he starts this conversation talking about arms master and dauntless and miss militia because they were characters he played in a video game. Um, but he never got past the first level because all the bad guys, scared him and yeah. now and now he is on the team he is you know approaching the bad guys he's going to not planning on going into the dream world but we we know what it's going to happen right so he is he is there on the front lines being part of the team that's going to do something and so it's a great way of like level setting and 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 you you understand why he's thinking this and of course i think the conversation around skitter which we're going to spend a lot of time on has i think to me very specific purpose but we'll get to that in in a bit but I, I like yeah. this. I like this kind of ruminating on the past that we're seeing set up here. And I think you're right that that specifically what this is doing is just reminding us about Dauntless. It's reminding us about Arms Master, who is a character that we know is not um, really on their side for what they're about to do. And I think so. We're just we're just, you know, re- refreshing the reader's memory of these characters yeah. here. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, just to just to beat on this drum for another couple seconds, um, zoom out, you know, very high level theme of the story is is trauma the theme of the story maybe is recovery Mm -hmm. hopefully um (laughs) but but aiden was pretty little back when the trauma happened so he's asking somebody who knows hey i'm looking around i'm seeing the consequences of trauma i'm doing what i can to recover but i don't actually remember what happened and i don't remember what things were like before the trauma i don't i don't remember what things used to be like i don't know how to go back to normal because i don't remember normal and and so in a in a very high level sense, uh, I think this is an interesting statement about, you know, what it's like if maybe uh, you 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 don't remember what it used to be like. Yeah. Well, and I think I think I like that a lot because I think that ties really into what happens in the next chapter, which is that every one of these 15 or so people gets to experience everyone else's trauma as if right. they're they're living it. Um, right. And I think that's yeah. good. I think there, there's a lot going on there that we'll get to. But I think that ties in rather nicely with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, where were we? Oh, I don't even know. Here. I don't even know. I lost my Around spot in the here. notes. Um, yeah. Uh, so back to back to Rachel specifically, though, I, I, I think 
you know, you said, I think mostly she means it. I think you're right. I don't think she like likes her, likes her, but, uh, I think, she, I think there is a, a mutual respect going on there. Rachel has been helpful. I do like this, this one thing she says about Rachel here back then, angrier, I guess, violent, vicious. I saw her hurt people. And I like this because if you took, if you took this out of context and I didn't tell you they were talking about Rachel here, you could say that that's a description of glory girl back in the absolutely. day, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Angrier, violent, vicious. I saw her hurt people. These are all things that glory girl did. Yeah. I mean, I would, sus- I, I suspect somewhat that while Bo did that intentionally because she wasn't, if she were more specific, you know, if she said, uh, I saw her order her dogs to crunch someone's leg into a pulp, then that wouldn't apply to glory girl. But mm-hmm. the, this sentence as it is, or these, this, you know, these four sentences, uh, these four short sentences apply to the glory girl, you know, just as well. Yeah. Like perfectly well. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think maybe that's one of the, you know, I think one of the things that the Victoria has a problem with is this, this, this guilt and shame and regret about the type of hero she was in that time. And I think connecting that with a person that she has a very uncomfortable relationship with because she sees them as this vicious, overly violent person, um, that was there and overly violent to them the day that all her worst shit went down. Right. I think she has, she, she has a, a, a connection to Rachel in that way. That's true. And and I think maybe Rachel is one of the people who she she's worked with her enough that she kind of credits her with having turned a new leaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not cool. so much uh, Tattletale, though. Not so much Tattletale. Sometimes I try to talk to her or convince her of stuff. Sorry, this is Aiden talking, actually. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I try to talk to her and convince her of stuff. And I have these points I'm pretty sure are good ones, but she won't budge at all. You'd think someone with her power would be better at seeing other people's points of view. How perceptive, young chicken. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's like right on the money there. Right. Um, And of course, I I love Victoria's comment, which is like no comment. I don't want to make enemies, which is basically uh, code for. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I mean, the other half of this thing that we didn't pull out here is is Victoria saying that Tattletale is scarily similar to what they were just talking about with Rachel. And she's a person who hasn't changed that much in all the time she's known her. Maybe her edges are a little bit softened but uh she hasn't really changed it that much how do we feel about that because i think in in a few minutes aiden is basically going to directly contradict that and say no actually i think she's changed quite a bit but uh do we do we think victoria is being fair to lisa here has she changed has she changed matt oh man i don't know i I, (laughs) i'm okay maybe you disagree i'm hard pressed to think of any example of tattletale changing like like it, the the only real way that i can think of is she's less likely to get herself in trouble by being um just like grossly um um like spontaneous and and um i'm i'm certain i'm groping for a word that i can't find just, just like acting stupidly in the moment like i think she's a little bit more patient a little bit older and wiser Mm -hmm. but but like she still ended up cut into pieces and made into a a cradle egg um like like it's not like she's any better at avoiding terrible situations sure um she's not she doesn't seem to be a whole lot better as like a leader like she she did lose one of the heartbroken um yeah i I don't know what do you think i mean i i i I think she's changed. I think she's changed in a lot of ways. I think the problem with Lisa is that the ways in which her trauma manifests itself are very overt. Like it's very obvious, like it just the, the nature of her power and the nature of how her power is used and how her power aligns with her personality 
comes off in a very specific kind of way. So she hasn't she hasn't recovered from her trauma yet, right? Like we very, we see very clearly here when we make a specific connection between her brother and Taylor in a, in a couple minutes that, um, that she, she is still suffering from, uh, you know, the, the primarily the, the trauma that happened to her. So, and I think that manifests itself in ways that make it seem like, Hey, she hasn't changed that much, but, I do think there's a lot of stuff going on underneath her that I would feel uncomfortable being like, no, nah, she actually hasn't changed that much. I think there's a lot she does. There's a lot she's working on. And and I think as Chicken Little says, she, there's a lot she's carrying. She's carrying a lot of stuff now. And she's she's trying in in different kinds of ways. It's just in the day to day, the way she comes off to people, especially to Victoria, is of a person who is just as snarky, just as rude, just as uh, dismissive of other people's feelings that she always saw her as. Yeah, a lot of what you just said also obviously reminded me of Victoria a ton because she's someone who's also never recovered from her original trauma. Her sure. original trauma was her parents being shit ass parents, mm-hmm. which they have always been and remain at now yep. currently yep um and she is basically instead of solving that problem she's just kind of like buried it under like seven more sedimentary layers of trauma yeah such that it only crops up every once in a while but i think that it fingers through and influences everything yeah yeah so so you could say like a lot of victoria's sharper edges are rounded off like i mean she's not throwing dumpsters at people or or vice versa um, yeah, but true. but that's that's not necess- that's not well, because she had a, a moral awakening. That's because she had something horrible happen to her that forced her to, to reevaluate. Um, much like much like Tattletale had some horrible things happen to her that have kind of forced her to be like, yeah, maybe I should tone it down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and we have the privilege of being inside Victoria's head. So we can I, I say with confidence that, yes, Victoria has absolutely changed since the start of this book, unquestionably. Um, but we're in her head constantly. So if if this entire book was from Tattletale's point of view, I think we would be much more comfortable in saying, yeah, she's changed. Yeah, right. I just I, I like my sediments early layers description because yeah. it's like like both of them are people who still have still have the bad stuff going on oh, on yeah. the surface. Oh yeah. If if they appear better, it's because they've developed corrective antidotes rather than actually solve the original problem or or dealt with it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um so yeah, moving on through this conversation, more comic relief. Victoria has to pay $5 for making an imp joke, which is wonderful. I love it. Yep. It's um, very It's also a way to to avoid actually answering the question about how imp has changed. That's true. Because <laughs> they yeah, just well, kind of move on from that. Well, I don't think Victoria ever knew Amp originally. Yeah, right? she, I don't think yeah. she did. I don't think yeah. not not well enough to make a comment about how different she is. Yeah. Um, then they talk about Skitter for a little bit. Oh, uh, boy. A lot of Skitter talk in these chapters, eh, Scott? Yeah, the characters are all finally addressing the giant scarab in the room, Matt. Uh-huh. Um, and so there's tons of reasons why we could be, you know, really starting to fo- to zoom in on Skitter a bit here in, in this part of the book. Uh, I mean, the most obvious one is that Taylor's coming back, right? <laughs> that's right. Oh, yeah. No, that's impossible because she's dead. That can't happen. Oh, um, Scott, you and your jokes. No, in all seriousness, no, I do. I do take the book on its word where the book is basically said directly to us that, it, that her story is over and she's not coming back. Um I, I, I don't actually think that's going to happen. What I do think is I think if you take if you look at what our characters are doing right now, right, what are they doing right now? They're about to fuck with some shit 
that they don't fully understand in in the in the name of preventing some worse shit from happening. Right. They're right. going to go do some shard stuff without fully realizing what they're doing and what the consequences of what they're doing could be um, in the name of of the greater good, kind of. Um, so I, I think I think this does have not not a one to one, but a close mirror of kind of the, the choices Taylor was making as she decided to risk what what Kepri eventually became. So I think it's it's kind of you know, thematically fitting to to mirror these two choices against each other to bring that decision back up and, and make it fresh on our minds as we see our characters working towards this thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. What's interesting in this case is I'm not entirely sure that these characters appreciate the gravity of what they're doing even as much as Taylor appreciated the gravity of what she was doing. I mean, mm-hmm. she, I, I feel like at least she, she knew she was going to be making a sacrifice, although it was worse than she expected it to be. Yeah. Um, these guys are just kind of like Pollyanna-ish and they're like, yeah, we're, we're going to, we're going to head off teacher. We're going to do it. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm misreading the situation. No, um, I mean, I think, I think one of the things we, and we'll talk about what we see them doing is they've removed the concept of a choice that a choice has to be made. Mm-hmm. They, they look at this as absolutely, we have to do this. We have to do this. And I think, yeah. I think Taylor, even at the end was aware that she was making a choice to do it. Um, she just knew that she was going to make that choice. Maybe that's not fair. It's been a long time since I read that book. So, well, I like that framing. I mean, I think that this happens with Victoria a lot where she does things because it's it's not like she has a sense of volition about it. It's, it's like, oh, well, this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, yeah, I mean, like it, it, it does amaze me as we get through, you know, them executing on their plan. It amazes me how little of planning there has been around this whole thing like they don't know what's going to happen. They don't really understand what they're going to do. It's like as we get to it, they release the the guardian of the dream room and then are like, oh, oops. Yeah, shit. Huh. Um, I guess we got like two hours to figure out how rain's not going to just die horribly. And oh, cool. Uh-huh. It's just like it's just it's it's hilarious in that in that they're complete inability in this big thing that they feel like they have to do to 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 plan i mean i don't know how much planning you could do but it seems like the question of hey um let's talk about how we could bring stuff into the dream with us should have been brought up before we executed the plan maybe i I mean i feel like the i feel like the element that makes this all hang together is the fact that really very little time has actually passed sure 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 and they have to act before teacher acts and, and they, they expect that to happen in the next X number of hours. So, um, so the reason they're not having that conversation is that they literally haven't had time to. And, and, and I get that like the way we're reading this in web serial format, it's easy to forget about the passage. Yeah. Of time. I mean, um, cause we, we read an hour over the course yeah. of two months right. <laughs> sometimes. So yeah, yeah, that is, that is fair. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, the fact that they're doing this without really thinking about it and it's kind of reckless, um, Aiden says, Tattletale says when you kill yourself or you act so recklessly, you die. So you essentially kill yourself. Then it kind of means people won't care about you. Oof. That's, yeah. that's a big oof. Yeah, that's a big Padre. oof um, in a lot of ways. I think before we go on, I just want to say generally today, the day we're recording this is World Suicide Prevention Day in in our, our planet um and so obviously we're talking about suicide directly here or indirectly here and then directly in the next chapter um so i think i just, just wanted to say you know 
guys, if anyone out there is struggling, get help, call someone. The, the suicide hotline's there. I don't think, Matt, we're going to go into like suicide conceptually here. And like, I don't really want to explore like the is tattletale right? Um, because I don't I don't I'm not an expert in that. I don't want to speak on that. I think it, it's very dangerous to speak about suicide in a way well, that if you yeah. don't know about it, which is not something I do. So, yeah, I think she I think what tattletale is saying here is expressing her feelings which yes, is yes really born of hurt right right like, yeah that's like, that's what i that's what i want to talk about i want to talk about how this depicts tattletale her her opinions i don't want to talk about it as like suicide conceptually right um yeah that's that's not something i want to get into but but what we're saying here is is it just that it happens to be you know world suicide prevention day uh please 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 anyone if you're if you're feeling anything Talk to someone. Talk to someone, please. Um, yeah, we're gonna put absolutely. we're gonna put the hotline in um, in our show notes. Just so, um, yeah. That's all. That's I just wanted. Sorry, we can go on now. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that's a good idea, and um, I hope you know. I hope people get the help they need. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I this first of all, just the idea, just the idea of Tattletale slotting in what Taylor did as suicide is so so important right i think we've talked you know broadly about the concept of um taylor was lisa's new person her new version of her brother this was like her second chance her chance to do things better that's why she got in league with her in the first place that's why she followed her that's why she was with her throughout the stuff as she was trying and we've talked about how taylor's death um, is kind of a reflection of, at least in her mind, a failure in that regard. But I think this is this is the text and and Lisa saying it as explicitly as possible that by literally saying what Taylor did is basically essentially killing yourself, she is specifically drawing a line to that fundamental trauma and that fundamental failure. And I think that's really important to understand her as a person and, and what she's going through and, and why she might be suffering and why it seems that she has changed as little as she has, where in her mind it happened again. And let's remember, she just lost another heartbroken, right? She lost another heartbroken because um, someone made a choice for them and they were powerless to stop it. And, and so that has to feel again, again, like something has happened. And, it's it's so awful and tragic and it's it's just very much lisa putting this stuff on herself yeah i mean i I think you you kind of encapsulated all of it right there she's Mm -hmm. um not only is she still carrying the trauma from rex she's she's now basically told told herself this narrative that this is her lot in life almost Mm -hmm. like like this is what this is how it is with me i i try to protect people i try to save them from themselves and and I can't and and it's almost like the, the people that she picks to be her projects are are people who have a self-destructive streak and thus it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so Aiden I mean can be said to have a self-destructive streak. But I think yeah. I mean, I think Aiden is just literally like this is this is Taylor <laughs> like like yeah. in in many different ways. This is Taylor and I'm yeah. going to latch onto him and this is. God, if something happens to Aiden, I can't. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think this is interesting, though, because I like we see next chapter, we see her trigger event and we see how she reacts to her brother and finding her brother. Um, and it's very 
it's very inwardly focused, right? It's like, this is my fault. Um, I was, I was, I am stupid is what she says to herself. This really powerful moment where she says she calls herself stupid. Um, that ties into exactly why she got the power she got. Um, this, 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 this thing that she's obviously spoken to Aiden many times is very outward focused. It's like, it's, when you do this, this is what's going to happen. This is what you do. Um, and I think that's interesting because obviously what she's doing is kind of trying to, to push Aiden away from this lifestyle from this choice, right? Like don't do this. This is bad. This is what happens to you. You, you hurt and you leave the people you love with, with anger and, and hatred and hurt and, uh, everyone else just forgets about you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's that is I think that's that's interesting. I think I don't know. I kind of maybe it just I want to, but I want to see that as a reflection of change that that maybe maybe on some level she's not putting as much of this onto herself, because what Aiden says to this, what, what he, his response to this is, um, I think Tattletale probably isn't the same person she's used to be. She's carrying a lot of that with her, that being uh, being what happened to Skitter um, and and. I, I, you know, I mean, that that does that does just inherently change you. And maybe maybe like we were talking about, I, I, I talk about change. And when I talk about change in relation to these characters, like my head goes immediately to change for the better. Right. Like, I'm just like, if a character's changing, I'm hoping they're changing for the better. This is a book about about recovery. What if Tattletale is different? What if Tattletale has changed? But it's she's just gotten worse. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, honestly my my read of the situation based on the fictional statements of an 11 year old fictional character about another fictional character <laughs> um, is, is maybe that that is the case that, that like, okay, so, so there's two possibilities. One is that Taylor has uh, uh, title tales kind of sublimated her anger or sorry, sublimated her grief into anger at Taylor. Yeah. Um, a way to not have to feel the pain is to be angry at Taylor. Yeah. Another possibility is that that's bullshit. She's actually just as, hurt and torn up about it um as she was about rex's death but she's doing the tattletale thing of bluster um and constant basically just running her mouth to seem invulnerable and and making it seem like oh yeah you know don't 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 end up like her she, she was a she was a bad egg when when you know inside she's she's like this is all my fault i failed her i did this yeah it's, it's me yeah yeah i, I think that's I, fair i kind of lean toward the latter of those two options myself yeah i think you're right I, I think the the aggression and anger with which lisa immediately goes to the second taylor is brought up later um mm -hmm. i think falls more in line with that so mm -hmm. i agree yeah cool. you, you've convinced me okay <laughs> cool um yeah so then they kind of have a relaxed jokey conversation about aiden's pretend parrot pegwing uh and we cut to the team arriving and making their way up to the hideout mm-hmm Kenzie doesn't have a mask with her, so Vicky loans her the Black Antares mask, which is not at all ominous or meaningful. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, what do you make of it besides that obviously like thematically ominous moment? Like Kenzie is just so indifferent towards the idea of needing any kind of covering. Um, it, and she doesn't even have her hairpin, right? Like, yeah. so does that mean her her scar is showing? Um, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It, it must, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, it does, it sets up this really awesome visual that we're about to get. Sure. I don't know. I, I don't think that's all it does necessarily. You just have to remember that throughout the following scenes, Victoria is no longer wearing her black mask 
Kenzie, who is, I think you could say, in a mood, mm-hmm. uh, is wearing the black mask. Yeah. And well, I don't know if Victoria was even wearing it, right? Because it was like her special. Like, Victoria doesn't wear that very often. Yeah. yeah um, I, I mean, I consider that to be part of her costume When whenever she says she's wearing her costume. Um, maybe I'm wrong about that. Actually. I think she says she pulled it out um, and okay. said it's like this is more more my more formal mm. costume bit. I don't always wear this part. So but yeah, no, I, I get your meaning, though. Like she has given she has taken the black mask and has put it on Kenzie. Um, and this is ominous. I agree. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. So inside the HQ, the villains have made themselves at home, including Damsel and Sidepiece. Uh, Victoria thinks Disjoint probably had eyes on the scene as well. She's got jokes. <laughs> She's got <laughs> jokes. Yep. Love it. Uh, Damsel, Matt? Is Damsel there or, or is Swansong there? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, because the text says Swansong. Swansong oh, and Sidepiece were present, sitting and exchanging words with Tattletale, no doubt about the villain collaboration. I love this as, as like, first of all, I think this is entirely unintentional, right? Like, I think this is just... <laughs> Just a typo or a slip up, but it's in the book. And because it's in the book, we get to uh, read whole bunches of stuff into it. So it is perfect. It is perfect to what Victoria is going through right now that she would make this slip up and not even catch herself, I think, is absolutely perfect to how Victoria is doing and and the suffering she's going through and the mourning she's going through. And I think it, it unintentional or intentional, it gives window to what's going through her head right now as she's as she's doing this stuff i it's great it's great i love it sure i mean i went on like a half hour mental tangent today thinking like if the author is sufficiently inhabiting the character and makes a slip up of this nature while writing then is it really a slip up or is it the character's slip up in which case it's completely intentional yeah there we go you did it that's actually i mean legitimately i know we're joking around but that's legitimately brilliant and (laughs) yes the my answer to that is yeah totally intentional okay wonderful Great. So Rain and Kenzie have a rather heated argument about Kenzie's overuse of tech, which he's commented on previous chapters of this arc. Um, Basically, yeah, it's it's a heated argument by Mm -hmm. the standards of both Rain and Kenzie. Yeah. Uh, I I adore this bit where she gradually grows. She sorry. She gradually shows visually what all the the tech sticking through her head looks like. And like when visualized, she's wearing this great crown of spindly stabbing glowing radiating antennae that are flickering with light um and then on top of that it so it says she wore the mask i'd given her eyeless while the other figure had eight overlapping eyes each pale and ghostly mm-hmm. um so d- you know this this kind of passingly occurred to me the idea that she's got eight eyes she's got these spindly what could look like antennae or legs coming out of her head mm-hmm. um kind of a Kind of a skitter image to oh, me. Oh, shit. No, I, I like that. I like just that. The, just visually, you know. I also like that the eyes are pale and ghostly, which is kind of like Swansong when she had her glowy mm-hmm. eye stuff on. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah, I mean, it's such, it's really it's really good writing. I love the comparison. I love like we go between this like monstrous, like multiple eye antenna everywhere to um to this 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 girl, just this little girl just standing there just hanging out and it's like so proud of herself and like it's it's really the 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 comparison there i think is really wonderful and rich and right but i i especially love that she has no eyes the the little girl has no eyes yeah her real eyes are the eight glowing eyes yes you know like that's kind of what we're saying yeah yep absolutely that's awesome it's yeah 
Oh gosh. Um, and I mean, I mean, okay, from within, right? Like sure. We're seeing, we're seeing that this is what Kinsey is on the inside, right? She's she she's the tip of the iceberg. She's becoming this creature, right? Um, and they all kind of are, right? But she has the unique ability to show you, right, what the creature looks like. It's pretty great. <laughs> it is. It is. So yeah, pretty much the whole team sides with Rain here, and Kenzie gets increasingly angry and a bit hurt, and finally lashes out at Sidepiece. Yeah. So I want to know what you think about this. Um, like, do we think? confronting Kenzie about this is the right call because my gut says yes like my my gut is to side with rain here and to be like yeah absolutely like look at all that tech that can't be good for you rain brings up a lot of good points you know uh infection it's not like a lot of it's like warped out but there's still some of it there um if anything goes wrong if any kind of power shenanigans happens and any of it gets phased out um or just like the fact that you're just running a mild fever constantly and if one of what if something breaks and overheats like if there's just there's just a lot of points of failure here. But I think the book constructs a fairly good ar- counter argument to to rain, even though it's not the way they end up going. And I, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I, I was leaning toward rain being right. I mean, when he mentioned stuff like if the if something happens with the portals, if Vista uses her power, everything could go haywire. You could have things sticking out of your eyeballs and, and like through your brain too. I mean, that's something like at least that's the way my visualization of this works. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it does seem very concerning. And and like and Kenzie says something at one point where she's like, "Oh, the odds of that happening are very low." And I'm like, "Okay, this is the exact time frame that we're expecting teacher to make some kind of catastrophic right. move on the city. The odds that something involving." dimensional shit is going to happen or like 100 <laughs> percent right 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 yeah and i mean like she's the, the problem i have with her counter arguments where some of her it's it's just very casual dismissal like you could lose an eye it's like well then i'll just make a cool bionic eye and it's like yeah i mean that is cool i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like having a bionic eye wouldn't be cool but that doesn't mean you're just like not concerned about horrible infections that could result in loss of parts of your body like just because you want to go by bi- like bionic doesn't mean you like set things up to go the slow, painful way to do it, you know? Yeah, no, it's a very lazy like I mean, it's the kind of thing that a young kid would say. Right? Sure, but, sure. Yeah, but it's it's uh, it's a bad argument. But Victoria does say that the, like her tech, Kenzie's tech is her security blanket. And mm-hmm. in, in this moment, she needs her security blanket more than ever. So let's let's take away the idea that I think both you and I agree that them executing this plan and the way they're doing it is probably a bad idea. Let's because they're doing it right. Whether that's regardless of whether we think it's a good idea or not, it's what's happening. So in, in the, a world in which this is absolutely a hundred percent happening and we have no choice, is it better for Kenzie to have holler shit in that world in which she's the one responsible for doing all this stuff? And I, I kind of want to be like, yeah, I mean, if you're putting this whole crazy plan on her back, I want her to be as connected and as powerful as humanly possible or parahumanly possible um, in this situation, right? Yeah, I mean, it does it does seem like we're setting up a situation where like, ah, dang, it sure would have been useful if, if Kenzie had all of her full capabilities around her, right? And she's sure. going and, and maybe something bad's going to happen because she didn't. And then she's going to blame either, you know, rain or, or or the team for making her take it out or she's going to blame herself for listening to them or being honest with them 
um I, I'm, I'm obviously extrapolating here but sure yeah um i i can you know we, we wouldn't be creating this this situation where kinsey needs to intentionally take out some of her capabilities if there weren't going to be consequences i feel Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely do. And I'm really interested to see because I think the consequences are kind of going to play into what was the right call here, because I th- if the book basically says, oh, everything goes wrong because Kenzie took out the one array that would have helped her see something, then that's an interesting conclusion the book's going to. Right. Or yeah, well, or, or sometimes bad shit just happens, even if you're being careful. Right. Yeah, so, that's fair. Um, it'll I think what's what's going to be interesting is the effect that it has on Kenzie and what conclusion she takes from it yeah i mean it doesn't help the damsel sitting here telling her how badass it would be right right like, and and her and her being and her thinking that that's a, a compelling argument right yeah right um which is just sad yeah yeah but i mean they are like kenzie does point out that they're kind of babying her here more than they have in the past and as much as i think like she needs her team to look out for her like we do see with sveta that she's using a lot of very mothery language with her right like she's using honey and sweetie um she's talking to kenzie in a very young type of manner right yeah um and and i mean so like as much as i i i kind of am with rain about this whole thing like kenzie's not wrong that they are treating her differently because tristan's like no what we do in breakthrough is we look out for each other and we call each other on our shit and kenzie's like well (laughs) (laughs) i mean we do that but like very inconsistently do we do that (laughs) You know, it's funny because because when she said that, I was I was kind of like offended. I was like, no, Breakthrough does a pretty decent job of that, actually. But <laughs> but but yeah, it's um, I mean, I think I think what I'm reacting to is that Breakthrough probably does a better job of that than most hero or villain teams. Because sure. most parahuman teams are like um, drama factories and Breakthrough is actually like they're all trained basically in in uh understanding and talking to each other in ways that de-escalate rather than escalate mm-hmm. yeah um so anyway that's yeah i think you're right comparatively that would be a, a thing but I, I do think like they're very selective in what they choose to specifically call people out on yeah. um and i do think they they call out the younger members of the team more than the others for sure yeah i think um, you're right but i i do like this moment where like poor Kenzie is begging, right? Let me help. Let me be useful tonight. I'll go however long you want without using it again, but I don't want to do something this big and do it half blind only for something to happen to you guys. Fuck. Victoria thinks there was a chance. Certain members of our team had rubbed off on her, which, which ones Victoria is it you? Is it Uh you? I think it is. I mean, yeah, it's, (laughs) it's good. I mean, I love how that's phrased though. Certain members of our team. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm yeah. not going to say me. No, yeah. no. But right, I mean, I mean I, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I mean, I think the text does it a bit more explicitly in a minute. But there's this parallel where the parallel is on on the one side, Tattletail and Chicken Little. And on the other, Victoria and Kenzie, uh-huh. especially lately. Uh, it, I wouldn't have called um, Kenzie Victoria's, you know, project prior to this arc. But this arc began with her literally saying guess Kenzie's my project yeah, now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, like something we've hit multiple times throughout the story, she's having conversations with Tattletail as if they are parents of their children. They are talking about their kids. You're not going to bring your kid, are you? No, I'm leaving my kid. You will you uh-huh. take care of like, so yeah, I mean, I think that that is, is textual. I mean, I do like it. Like Victoria, as much as she doesn't v- verbalize this, 
like says she's on Kenzie's side here. Like basically yeah. like she she voices the complaint we just said, whereas that that tech probably made more sense. It's her security blanket. She needs her security blanket right now, even if it's an eye penetrating alien hardware security blanket, which only in this book that would happen. Um, uh-huh. But she relates to her on this feeling of I need to do something. I need to contribute. I need to be at my absolute best because if I'm not at my best and something bad happens, it will be my fault. And that is such a Victoria thing. And as much as Victoria relates and understands that, that to me almost makes me immediately side against that because I'm like, that's what is so self-destructive about you, Victoria, is is that mindset. It's noble as hell, but it it destroys you. It hurts you so much. And and for her to be like, yeah, I get it. I get Kenzie wants to do that. It's like, no, that's not good. That's not good. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think the culminating moment, the moment where it all kind of comes to a head is is Kenzie says, I do. I have to. I drew in a breath ready to say the hard truth. We have to, she said. I deflated. <laughs> and I mean, what a what an interesting little bit of writing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's so so much is conveyed with like like you literally you almost you almost do it with her while reading. Like <sighs> Yeah. Like like she doesn't even voice the the idea that like we don't have to. We don't have to do this. We don't she have to do this. Can't even say it. Yeah. It doesn't it's, it doesn't have to. Yeah. We don't. And, and if, even if we even if you argue we do have to do this, we, it doesn't have to be like this. It yeah. doesn't have to. Um, but but no, because because Victoria agrees that the we have to. She absolutely agrees with that. Yeah. And exactly. so any resistance to that, as soon as she says something that Victoria agrees with, she just can't bring herself to saying that anymore. It's, it's so interesting, though. Yeah, because like she she when Kenzie says I do, I have to. She's like, oh, you know, oh, sweetie, you you don't have to, you're just a kid. And, mm-hmm. But then when she says we have to, she's like, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, we, we, we have do. to. We do. Yeah. 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 Like, like you, she include me in it. Who else is going to do it if I don't? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm mm-hmm. Victoria. Yeah. And um, of course, Kenzie, like as, as she absolutely loves is central to this entire plan. Like she, she is the, the plan. It is, it is her. Right. So yeah. like, like the only, there are two essential people in this plan. Kenzie and Rain, and they are arguing with each other right now. Um, yeah. So it can't, we can't be like, Kenzie, you can sit this one out. No, she can't. She literally cannot. She's the plan. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that, that's one you know kind of funny thing that keeps happening throughout this whole story is like Kenzie is the most powerful and competent member of their team by far. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and like it keeps being a problem that that's the case because they're like, we really really shouldn't be putting all of this on her but we're going to do it again because we have to. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean, without I don't want to I don't want to dive too much into ripping apart Kenzie, but I wonder how much of that is her very cleverly and subtly pushing things to where that always is the case, right? Because that seems like exactly the situation that Kenzie wants to be into. She wants to be the indispensable person that everyone needs to have around. Um that's what she likes. Yeah, I mean, she she does do that kind of thing. It's almost the question is almost more like is she doing it uh, cognizantly or yeah. unconsciously. I um, would not, I would not say cognizantly. I think like Kenzie can be manipulative. Sure. I don't think it would be on that level of like Machiavellian, yeah. like, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty mastermindy. Yeah. 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 So after Victoria calms her down, she eventually takes out what she doesn't expect to need for the project. Yeah. And, that, and like I said, this is one of those things where you're like, okay, well, that 
now you're definitely going to need that one because you just yeah. removed that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but again, I wonder. I think you're right that it doesn't necessarily have to mean Rain was wrong, but I do think if the book chooses to make that decision, it is saying something. It yeah. is it is demonstrating a point, whether it makes it implicitly or not. I, I really I agree, but I think that how that manifests is going to really determine. I, I I don't I'm not confident in saying anything about it before we see what happens. I guess. Sure, sure, that's yeah. fair, that's fair. Um, yeah. So damsel then tells them about the dreams, the field of living red crystal. Oh, the colors! The colors yep. mean things. Um, yep. Yeah, and this is I mean we're, we're I bet you just start started loving this shit. Like I I think yeah. I know you enough. Like we're getting very like kind of like science fiction. Yeah, it, it's really starting to get out there and weird. And and what I love about it is like this has been where the story was going from the very beginning. Right. Like arc two, um, we we saw a broken trigger and the guy talked about standing on the edge of the cliff and, you know, wanting to wanting to fall in. Um, so like we've been we've been slowly laying the seeds for this kind of shard world shenanigans from the very, very, very beginning. And now we're getting there. We're finally we're finally diving in. And oh, yeah. as, as much as that's I mean, like I, I talked about this on Twitter, but as much as I am absolutely dreading the choices our characters are making right now, I am like from a person who loves to read this book. I am so excited <laughs> for how this is going to play out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is this is my entire jam. I mean, I mean, the, the moment that the thing about Worm that blew my mind. So much, I mean, many things did. But one of the main ones was enjoying the hell out of the superhero story and having it suddenly at the like 90% mark or whatever turn into <laughs> a science fiction like a really excellent and well thought out science fiction story that retroactively made the whole thing a really awesome science fiction story and then mm -hmm. my head exploded and all the birds around me started chirping yeah um but uh Aiden? so yeah I, I do love this stuff uh no what huh <laughs> um so this moment I want to talk about this Damsel says, do you want me to say something to Love Lost? She liked me. Scott, did Damsel ever meet Love Lost? Well, Matt, you sent me down a rabbit hole with this one, and I spent way too long <laughs> doing research. And I'm going to be really mad if, like, the second I say this, I get a message that's like, no, actually, yeah, they hung out. Because I, I seriously <laughs> looked this up for a while. And I plotted out Damsel's, you know, existence in this story so far. And I don't think they did. I don't, like... Ashley hung out with Love Lost during the Hollow Point stuff. Right. Um, Damsel was with Breakthrough when they were fighting against Love Lost. I don't think Slashly, Damsel, ever really hung out with Love Lost. So, yes, what you're alluding to here <laughs> is absolutely true. That that this this she liked me is a window into damsel's like ongoing identity crisis thing which we will see represented literally in her trigger event next chapter yeah i i like this so much that even if you do get that message in a second <laughs> i still like it this way um yeah I, I it's wonderful i think it's it's one of those really subtle blink if you miss it things that i'm gonna be honest with you i i blinked and i missed it and i'm so happy you pulled it out because i, I think that's deliciously thematic yeah yeah no it's uh, yeah, I mean, and it's yet yet another thing that does prepare us for what's going to happen in the next chapter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even though we don't spend much time with Damsel, we we do get these little tiny bits that make it just delicious. Yeah, yeah. So in the process of showing the, the team a projection of the dream room, Kinsey accidentally, you know, 
wakes up the guard dog creature. Accidentally on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have your theories, don't you? <laughs> um, but yeah, the dark section of the chamber opens up. The creature emerges looking like a wave of illusory perspective shifts. Yep. Oh, shit. Now all the walls between the sections are down and it's two hours till rain go sleepy time. Um, so much for exploratory mission. Yep, now it's just combat mission. Hooray! All right, 16.8. Rain and Kenzie continue to have friction in this chapter. Kenzie presses Rain for details uh, about the logic by which the dream room operates, such as dates when costume details in the room changed. Um, so she's hoping that she can leverage such an understanding to allow the team to bring in useful stuff. Yeah, and I'm glad you like. I'm glad you kind of specifically isolated the fact that their contention from the last chapter carries over here in this, where Rain has technically won an argument. Kenzie has removed tech, and she's not happy about it. Uh, Rain's probably not happy about the fact that Curveball, um, you might die now. Yeah, we, surprise. And and he's probably like dealing with the shit on his own. And and so they're both kind of annoyed with each other, but they need the, the plan revolves around them. So them working together and them communicating is required. And so it's the it's this, this natural conflict has built up where where Kenzie's exasperated and impatient because she needs information from him. And he's like freaking out and kind of annoyed with her and annoyed with this whole thing, because suddenly this is a much bigger problem for him. In a, in a very specific, direct way than he thought it was going to be. Uh, it's just a really, it's really great. It's really great. Yeah, it because prior to her taking down the walls in the dream room, uh, he, he, I don't think he was mad. I think he was concerned. Yeah. And he wasn't getting heated. And, and I don't know if I'd call it heated, because I don't know if I've ever seen Rain heated unless he was getting, like, love lost tokens. But he's definitely freaking out, like you said. Yeah. Uh, he's, he is, he's terrified. He, he, he is not he's a brave person, but he is not immune to fear. We know that. Yeah. But what does he do in this fear? I mean, he 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 deals. Yeah. I love I love that we got that Aaron. I think that Aaron interlude is the the one thing that I think has has crystallized my understanding of rain in in more than any other way did that. There's like this that simple phrase like what does he do in these situations? He deals. Uh-huh. And that's exactly what he's doing. Like there's this great moment where he's basically had everything laid out to him, how terrible and I'm jumping ahead a bit, but how terrible this is going to go and how likely it would be for him to get hurt. And he just like just centers himself and then says, what do I have to do? And yeah. that's rain. Yeah, right. He's he's had a hard life. He has experience with this shit. Yep. Um, cool. Um, so I, I think one of the things I did want to point out here before we move on is that rain kind of had to like make up a reason for why he needed to immediately call love lost and Colt and let them know what was going on because now they're in danger <laughs> in two hours when they go to sleep, they're in immediate danger. Um, and they had to kind of not be completely forthright with it because they haven't told anyone else that they're doing this, which right. is a great way for the book to kind of remind us that the wardens don't know about this and if they did they might be pissed off about it yeah. um, and so just again the book reminding us again that they're they're kind of on their own here they're operating completely independent from any of the other uh authority sources in this world they're just going on on their own here yeah it makes me sad because defiance totally gonna find out about this isn't he he's, he's gonna, gonna be, be so like, mad he's, he's gonna, gonna show like, up at their headquarters and be like what the fuck are you how did no yeah. He's going to be like, you You just said that you were my friend. And literally the first thing I asked you to do as my friend was to not do this shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now you don't get to come live with me, Kenzie. Yeah, this is going to be so sad. Yeah. Oh, no. Fuck. Oh, no. I'm so sad now. Call the fire um, right now, guys. There's still time. There's still time. Well, no, there's well, not. I mean, in this point in this <laughs> point in the chapter, there's still time. Not. Oh, that's true. In the, the Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so Victoria muses that the room uh, goes uh, will be going off uh, or could be going off how you see yourself, in which case meditating might help solidify your residual self image. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little matrix reference for you. <laughs> uh, idea two is that it's the shards conception of the person. And uh, she backs this up by explaining how shards obviously need to have some idea of who their host is, what their host looks like for a variety of reasons, often involving breaker stuff. Yeah. I mean, I love this as kind of like a continuing reflection of this idea of, you know, the conflict drive and the the question of, is it the shard or is it the person? And, and Lisa's answer immediately jumps into my head, both. It's always both. And I think that's probably the answer here too, that it is probably a combination of your own self image and the way the shard sees you. Because I think what we've seen from, what we the the mind of the shard as we've gone into it is them kind of wanting to help along like oh you imagine yourself this way i help in yeah, in my yeah. in my certain shardy kind of way um yeah. and so I, I think i think probably it's a little a little of both of what they're saying here yeah i like that somebody i think in the discord earlier was saying how would how would taylor show up in the dream room and, oh god uh, my answer would be as a uh, as a cloud of bugs <laughs> a whole bunch of roaches <laughs> that's great i love um, it uh, so Darlene says uh, maybe the agents just like masks and uh, Victoria kind of gives her a, you know, metaphorical pat on the head, uh, <laughs> despite this being the correct answer. Uh, I mean, just kidding. Victoria doesn't actually dismiss the idea. I think she gives it some weight. I I, I mean, we kind of know this is true, right? Like from yeah. uh, from last last when yeah. Yeah. Textually, um, they uh, they like they like those like those masks, um, yeah. both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, Darlene is right here. And. I, I think like you made a joke about it, but that moment where like Victoria is is this person that is always kind of trying to help. Right. And so like even in this moment, in the midst of this countdown of panic, she's cognizant enough to be like, hey, Darlene's looking shitty. She could use a win here. Yeah. Uh, let's just give her let's just give her a little win. And it kind of yeah. works because like, we see Darlene like smile happily after this whole thing. And. Um, it's just like, that's, that's Victoria. Like as I, I get frustrated with her and I rag on her sometimes, but I think at her core, she's just trying to do the best she can. And, and her awareness of others sometimes is one of her strengths. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. We should, we should call that stuff out when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Lest, lest we be accused of being unfair to Victoria. <laughs> yes. That's always important. <laughs> Tattletale is sure to appraise rain of how fucking badly this could go if they aren't successful. Uh, she also uses the term shard space here, which is interesting, like, because I don't, maybe this is, a, maybe this is old news and I'm just having a, a, a mental moment, but when did the characters start canonically using the word shard? Um, I spent so much time researching the whole damsel thing. I didn't have time to research this right. one, but I think okay. if anyone's going to use the word shard, I think it's going to be Tattletale, right? Um, that, that seems sense. like a thing that she would be, she would get gleaned from her power. Right. I mean, it. I, I agree like that that is the the explanation that makes sense to me too mm -hmm. yeah um so let's talk about how how brutally honest Tattletail's being <laughs> with rain here yeah um I, I think I think this is important and, and I don't want to rag Tattletail too much for it because I think it's important for rain to understand completely what he's going up against which is bad bad stuff um but again maybe uh you know doing all this before they knocked down the walls 
and you were up against the clock would have been a good idea, but whatever, whatever. Um, but she is doing it in a very tattletale kind of way, right? Um, where it's it's just it's just barbed. It's like we talked about how she thought her edges were sharp. Her edges, or her sharp edges were smooth a little bit. They're not smoothed here. They're sharp. These are sharp edges. We're seeing a sharp edged tattletale here. And uh, I think I think it makes sense when you see the stuff that she's been through. She's probably not in the best mood right now. It's also I mean, we've been talking about this idea of, of people being careless with with their lives, um, being a sore spot for her. Mm-hmm. And she's just seen like everything went from like planning phase to, well, now rain's getting it eaten. Uh, she's she's maybe feeling a little bit angry about that. A little bit frustrated that this turn has, has happened and yeah. she wasn't able to stop it again. Like not that she necessarily feels responsible for rain, but it does seem like a situation got out of control. She couldn't she couldn't get it in hand. And maybe she does feel responsible for that. I think I she know. does. Like, I mean, I think her trauma takes many forms and I think it takes specific forms in that she picks uh, a new Rex, quote unquote, and, and becomes really concerned with them. But that's not all she does, because she has been person that's desperately using her power to try to try to keep the city going person, you know, like she cares more broadly than just the one person at a time. She wants people to think only I care about all I care about is chicken little. That's all I care about. I don't care about anything else. So I do think there's probably a little bit of resentment here about the, the kind of absurdity of this plan that, that she's, she's playing it off as I'm only here to get some free information. Um, and as a favor to you, but I do think part of it's like, I might be able to help here and stop bad stuff from happening. And I'm going to do that. And the way you're being so reckless with this really drives me fucking crazy. But I'm tattletale and I'm not going to tell you that. Didn't we get some hints in her interlude that indeed she was like feeling some kind of responsibility or empathy for the whole. Yeah. The whole territory. I think yeah, so. Yeah. I don't familiar. remember that specifically, but it sounds familiar to me, too. Um, yeah. I'm, I, it was so many years ago, but <laughs> um, I, I think that happened. Um, so. Um, I love that Nicholas Rain Cage butts into the <laughs> middle of this with his firm but humble request for help. Um, like she, you know, uh, basically, s- sorry, I, I skipped over a little bit there. Yeah, so yeah, you skipped over um, some important stuff. I skipped over some important stuff. So Victoria points out that Tattletail's being shitty. Uh, says this time it wasn't my kid who. Sorry, uh, Tattletail says this time it wasn't my kid who fucked everything up. And Chicken says, basically, hey, wasn't Skitter kind of your kid? Ooh. And Paddletail does not like this at all. Nah, she gets pissed. She escalates to telling them that it's time to go home right now. She'll be requiring her fee from this point. Uh, and then she has a standoff with the kids and ends up blackmailing them with their secrets. And basically, she's going to kind of win this whole encounter, having basically lost her lost her head completely right yeah i mean like victoria totally like just goes you're you're being a child you're you're more of a child than all the children here you really you literally are a child um she i mean obviously this has set her off like so much and it's it's so obvious to me that you've scratched tattletale's nerve here that like i'm surprised and i think i think this is actually really smart because i think what this is going to do is victoria is going to see tattletale's trigger event and Uh i think a lot of who Tattletale is is about to click in place for Victoria. And, and you know, we had the event we, where we see we know she calls what Taylor did suicide. We have this event where she lashes out and gets so angry and immature and, you know, the most tattletaleiness that she's been in a long time when we bring up Skitter here. I, I think this is all laying the grounds for like like a, a, 
an unlock to happen when uh, Victoria is forced to experience what title, what happened to Tattletail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it's worth stressing that no, at no point in Ward has Tattletail behaved quite this way. Right. Yeah, this, yeah. this is a more worm era. Um, gonna gonna tear you apart and enjoy it and strut away yeah i mean this is very this is right back to bank robbery tattletale right like this is lisa like i'm gonna reveal your worst secret as a way as and use that as a bargaining chip and victoria's reaction to her is more extreme than we've seen where she's she's like you're you're being a fucking child like that like we've never seen her really talk to lisa this way in in this book um i mean she's been she's been snarky and and been kind of sharp to her but this is like a insult to her face type sure uh, yeah sure. yeah I, that, that's how they, and and i you know there's an exclamation point in that sentence scott so mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah but anyway rain is able to shut all this down by just kind of being like i would really appreciate your help yeah that's because he's the coolest motherfucker on the planet that's right me and chicken right. little agree on that for damn sure Yes. I, I mean, were you imagining him being played by Nick Cage here? Because I sure was. No. Oh, okay. No, Sorry. I, he's too young for that. That'd be weird. Oh, just like a really young Nick Cage. <laughs> so what do you think about this? I mean, Rain has kind of taken. I mean, he's definitely not like the leader of the group, but he's been making like leadership type calls for this group for a bit now. Um, like he's the one confronting Kenzie on her shit. He's the one recognizing where this conversation is going that he needs to shut it down. Whereas, whereas Victoria is just like right in there escalating the conversation. Like, like fuck you, you child, like going off rains. Like, okay, okay. We need to, let's calm this down. So I think like we're seeing like Victoria's in some shit right now. Um, Tristan, our, our other normal leader is, is dealing with some shit right now. Uh, Swan song, well, we know what happened to her. So like we're seeing rain kind of step up in some moments here and I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I think you're right. It's interesting to track um, ever since the the big Amy touch moment declared master stranger. Vicky declared master stranger on mm-hmm. herself. Then like 800 more things happened, but we never really revisited that and said like, OK, I guess I'm fine now. <laughs> right. I guess I'm I guess I'm back in the leadership position and you can trust me now. Yeah. Um, a lot of time has passed too, right? Like it, it was five days passed between <laughs> the end of the of last arc and the beginning of this one. I'm just laughing at the fact that like in this, in this story, a lot of five days is, a, is indeed a lot of time. Yeah, absolutely. It's vast. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's, I, I don't know if we know where Victoria's head is right now regarding leadership um, I guess yeah. we'll see soon, huh? I mean, maybe I, I think I, I think she is still kind of like taking her foot off the pedal a little bit here. Like we saw that she agrees with Kenzie about the whole tech thing, but she doesn't force the issue. She kind of lets she sees the way the group is kind of leaning in that and doesn't really offer a challenge to it. She doesn't. She just kind of goes with the flow. Um, and that is that is not. I mean, that, I guess you could argue that the leadership sometimes is recognizing that that's what you need to do in those moments. But um, she hasn't necessarily been directing the group as much. She's got other things to worry about. She's still like sick and miserable, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So she's got a lot of excuses. Sure. Um, so Tattletale concedes Rain's generous kind of uh, humble, you know, approach. 
and gives a good terrifying rundown of all the horrible stuff they could expect in the shard world. <laughs> um, but then she also admits that it's educated guessing, which we know is code for basically unconstrained or underconstrained extrapolations using her power, which can be very wrong when Tattletail's power is involved. Hooray, that's concerning. But it's fun because it's only injecting concern into our minds. Yeah, right? <laughs> fair, fair. Like dramatic irony concerning this. Yeah, that's that's very true. It is. It is. Uh, but I mean, how much do you love this stuff, though? Because this is abstract as hell. And I just re- I like this paragraph here. Um, you're going to find the other side, the other stuff on the far side, a little less consistently solid. And from what Damsel said, it's going to be a bit like everything's gone breaker. They like structure and they like redundancy. So expect details pulled from hosts, awareness, specific and collective. When you don't have that structure, you'll have a vast amount of connective tissue. So Which that's is pretty right on, right? I mean, that's kind of exactly what we see in the, the dream sequences, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't really know what everything has gone breaker means exactly, but definitely all the stuff about structure and it details means and stuff, yeah. crazy. Apparently so. We'll see. Mm-hmm. They also discuss um, how this thing that Tile has just described kind of sounds like an endbringer. Uh-huh. And Victoria's like, hey, this kind of sounds like an endbringer. And she's like, nah. She said, smaller in stature, more limited in scope. I realized I was holding my breath and I didn't release it. I felt like there was a butt coming. It's the same scaffolding, same construction material, similar principles. So not exactly an endbringer, Matt, but not not an yeah. endbringer. Right. It's like like <laughs> it doesn't have like some particular power that can destroy a, a continent or whatever, but probably still completely invulnerable yeah. and giant and etc. It's just a really um, good it's just a good way I think of setting the the stakes in a in a way in which we the reader and Victoria the point of view character completely get it. Like now we have uh, let's pretend this thing is like an endbringer and now you have a good understanding of how difficult this fight is going to be. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. There like we talked about before though, there's also this wonderful beat where the two moms talk about uh their kids. And Tao like, You're not taking your kid with you, right? And you're like, No, she's staying here. Uh well, if something happens to you, what do you want me to do with her? And she's like, Well, you know, maybe get in contact with Defiant and Dragon. Um and Tattletail is like, I'll I'll waive my usual fee, I'll help out, no problem. Uh just if you ignore Chicken Little's loose lips. Uh, which is obviously related to some of the Taylor stuff, right? That that it was talking about. Yeah, I think that's simply just that uh, Victoria uh, Tattletail knows that Victoria intuited that he is a I don't know if they know the word bud, but she's a cape nerd. She probably understands the idea that mm-hmm. people pass down shard traits and she gets that he his shard came from Taylor's in some way. Yeah. And also her, I think her involvement in what in Taylor's stuff, I think, is probably something she doesn't want. The world at large, you know, that too, that too. And I mean, it's, it's a very sensitive topic for her. So she doesn't want everyone knowing about this stuff and she's willing to do favors to make that happen. Yeah. For someone who knows so much, she's sure, uh, really selective in what she tells other people. It's true. See, see, I, I view this as being very much centered around protecting chicken little and that, that being her main priority, because I think her idea is like assholes like teacher would go after, um, chicken if they knew that he had the same kind of template of of the power that was used to take over the world basically and if they got their hands on him they could hack him the same way they hacked the same way amy hacked taylor Hmm. that that was kind of my 
uh, it, it's a weird it's a weird number of logical leaps to be making for what I'm calling a automatic assumption, but that was my automatic assumption. Anyway, yeah, no, I like that. I like that. I, I did not um, get there, but that seems reasonable to me. So we cut to a bit later. Uh, Sveta is walking everyone through a guided meditation, and she's pretty good at this, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victoria's mind wanderings are also some very good writing. Yeah, I, I just wanted to pull out some of it because it's so good. Um, this is, she's she's trying to focus and do her thing. Like I love that the idea of focusing. Like Victoria spends so much time, like not thinking, trying hard not to think stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, that the idea of meditation and just kind of opening your mind is like very reckless for her. Cause that like lets the bad thoughts come in. And so she can't do it quite in the way that, that Sveta wants her to do it. So she does it in her very Victoria way. Um, but we get this, this bit of information about her costume that I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt, I don't think we ever got some of this stuff as explicitly stated as it is here. Um, where it says, I chose my, a black costume because Amy's was white gold because of gold morning. My icon at my shoulders with its spires was evocative of the wretch's hands that we knew the symbol extending to be a circle with a dot within it to emulate the armbands that so many we wore that I think we knew as well. But I don't think we knew about the black was specifically chosen to be the opposite of Amy. Did we? Am I wrong there? I don't remember that being mentioned. It's possible. Um, I, 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 when I read it, it struck me as new information. I'll put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. Um, I think that's fascinating. <laughs> I think yeah. it, it ties into the, the use of black so much more it's, as her specifically trying to get away from that. But I, I love this idea where she she kind of says aloud what I think everyone was thinking was if I thought of Amy and the wretch and if those thoughts took hold, if this meditation worked, would the me of the dream room be the wretch? Uh, that's a terrifying thought. Terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, Potentially very useful, though. Well, <laughs> would it, I um, guess it depends on what version of the wretch, Matt. Is it I guess the, hosp- so. the in the hospital version where she can't move? I don't know. I don't know. It would be interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the writing just as like this is kind of the internal thought loop of someone who isn't particularly good at meditation trying to meditate, right? Yeah, well, and, and like I said, like I think meditation is inherently a dangerous thing for how she processes her trauma. Because she works so hard to not think about certain things. Right. Well, if she were good at meditation, then that would actually make it easier. But I I, I get the point that every time she tries to meditate, it probably goes into the shitter like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So um, just because I had to kind of sketch this out because I wasn't really paying attention the first time that I read it because it didn't. um, Certain things didn't register in my brain the way they should have. But the people in the cube are. Tristan, Victoria, Damsel, Sveta, and of course Rain is going to end up in the dream no matter what. It's basically just breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus Damsel, of course. Uh, but all of those people, plus Tattletail, Aiden, Candy, and Darlene, end up inside. Yeah. So um, we're not going to really have another chance to talk about it other than to say, oh, why'd that happen? I don't know, Matt. Why do you think it happened? Do you think maybe, do you think maybe Kenzie accidentally did it? Because she wanted to go? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I thought, so honestly, the first time you said that, I was like, no. Um, <laughs> but but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, she maybe she thinks this is the only way she can protect her team. Well, I mean, like her being left out is a yeah. very specific problem for her. Um, yeah, it's true. So this is leaving her out of the dream room shenanigans. 
I, I could see a person who oopsed her way into it or yeah. it could just be some shard stuff. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be that, I mean, but that's what jumped into my head. Like it'd be an interesting idea if like she oops her way in and then Darlene was linked to her and then that dragged everybody else in or something like that. That, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, she set it up where just she would go. But yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, but I mean, my like I had the, another thought, which was just like, well, what if the shard is more powerful than people gave you credit for? And it was like, nope, going to grab all you because yeah. I can do that. And this I seems fun. I like networks. Bring all these people. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to kill all of you because you're on to me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right, Matt, let's do it. It's so, shard space time. So like it's hard to man. This is this is like a whole nother chapter, right? Yeah. Like, like like what we just read was basically a chapter. This is at least another chapter worth of like content. I don't know if it's like the word count of a chapter, but it's damn dense stuff. So we go through all these dreams as we go in. Yeah. And I want to talk. We'll, we'll get through this one first. But I, I, I want to talk about, you know, specifically the structure of, of the order of how these are laid out and how it works to slowly reveal what's going on here. Because I think as much as I love the content of each and one, one of these little vignettes in these sections, I think it's beautiful writing. It's tragic. It's horrifying. It's everything that I love about this book. I think the way in which it is structured makes it brilliant. Yeah. Right. The, the, the confusion following by followed by the unraveling of the mystery. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, and the horror as you have fully realized what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So Victoria battles another girl at a basketball video game in a mall arcade. Her dad and mom watch. Dad completely disinterested. Mom mentally elsewhere. Uh, in the video game, she controls heroes wearing basketball uniforms. Her parents are distracted by strangers wanting to talk to famous heroes. We have this recurring motif of her using the joystick going down, down, down. <laughs> I love it. She wants to show that she can be excellent in her own way. When it's her moment to take the game-winning shot, her opponent blatantly shoves her, and the shame of crying out when she hits the ground, and her mother's condemning, disappointed stare, and her dad's complete inattention, and Amy's reaction too, which is also complicated. Yeah, uh, it's, it says, "I missed the shot," and then she gets to make the, uh, you know, the the foul, the um, Jesus, I don't know anything about basketball. It's the, the free throw. The free throw. Yeah, it says, "I missed the shot with everyone except for three people still watching." Their love was conditional. It makes you wonder, like, I get that this is, I mean, this is a, this is like a metaphor. This is a twist. But it makes you wonder if the trigger, if her real trigger event was when she was shoved or when she missed the free throw, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, has I, she always been kind of lying about that? I don't know. It'd be interesting to go look through things and see if we can figure that out. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I I kind of want to say, yes, absolutely, that it was not the shove. It was this final failure on top of all the other failures. Um, I, I, this this whole section is so good, Matt. The writing here is so good. Like the, the, the detail here, how Victoria immediately starts recognizing people, but not the scene. She's like, these people look familiar, but I don't know. I don't know why. Like this, this whole scene seems wrong, but the, how the how the the controls are comfortable in her hand. It feels right, but it still feels wrong. Um, we, we quickly realize that this is her trigger dream, but Victoria didn't play a basketball video game. <laughs> she played. So yeah. we're like immediately confused and disoriented. And I think the one thing that makes this work more than anything is, is even though we're confused as to what's happening here, the emotion of the event still comes through Carol's disappointment, Mark's indifference, Amy's excitement, which carries its own pain with it. 
the setting is wrong, but the emotions are correct, which means even as we're confused and questioning what the fuck is going on, which is exactly what we're doing, we understand that key part of it. And that's why this works. And I, I glad you pulled out the dribble, the down, down, down. It's such a good recurring beat. It's such a good scene. We even see this this little bit, this little hint towards the future where I think uh, Victoria notices that Mark is spe- paying special attention to um, to a a a young a man with tattoos and a beard, which is, as it turns out, a fallen person that's wandering through the mall. We don't even realize that at the time, but it becomes obvious later in the story. It's it's really really good. Yeah, um, and and I like that the setting of like like you all there's just a, a like a semantic connection between arcade and mall sure so later when while the fil- when he adds the connective tissue if you will and you get what's going on it's very easy for you to make that connection oh mall arcade she's also at the mall yeah I get it. yeah 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 because uh, you just, I, don't, I don't know like i've i haven't been to an, a mall that had an arcade in like years oh but man i know that malls have arcades in yeah. an abstract sense my mom used to have I remember wasting so much money on the Jurassic Park, the Lost World shooter with my dad. Just Me $20 too. went in like five minutes because it's so expensive. It's good in arcade, Scott. OK, we live okay. in different states. Matt. Oh, shit. Forgot. <laughs> um, so next, a girl wanders through a large empty house. She finds her brother's body in his bedroom and she tries to help him in a panic. She stumbles out to find a phone to call for help, but realizes she's too late to do anything and thinks to herself or says to herself, I feel so stupid. I, I love and I hate this scene. <laughs> it is yeah, so I mean, awful. You see how like I, I just couldn't I couldn't summarize it any more than that. It's like, oh, it just sucks. Yeah, no, I think you did as good of a job as could be expected. Yeah, it really it really sucks. I mean, it's like she starts off and she thinks it's Sveta and then she thinks, oh, no, it's not Sveta. Maybe it's Ashley. But no, it's Lisa. As soon as we see her brother, we know exactly who this is. And uh, and and we've seen we've never seen this scene. Right. We can never we've never seen Lisa's trigger event, just like we've never seen Victoria's trigger event. But we know enough about them to immediately recognize these scenes. And even with the changes, as we start to realize that there's changes, um, it's close enough to where we we line it up with our understanding of what goes down. So was your assumption that in reality, Tattletail did find her brother's body like this, basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. And I I think that's one thing we can get into because there's a lot of weirdness going on here, right? Where like uh, uh, spoilers to what we're about to talk about. But the the chart that this dream is latching their trigger events onto the only thing it understands, which is this very limited understanding of the mall and the triggers that happen in the mall. So it's kind of like trying to puzzle these pieces together with what it knows um because as as uh, lisa said structure is very important to it it'll take the individual understanding and the whole understanding and try to meld them together into some sort of structure so that's what it's doing here um but yeah things are different so we can't take everything we're seeing here as exactly the way it happened but i think that part of it like like we said the emotional core of what happened as we th- saw through victoria is still there so I want to say, yeah, I want to say that. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is the one that feels the most veridical. Like she she doesn't find her brother in like the mall changing room of the Macy's. Sure. She finds him in his literal bedroom in his house in their giant house. We know they were rich. They had a big house. Yeah. That's all details that make sense. And then right outside their front door is a shopping center, which doesn't make sense. So, yeah, um, for whatever reason, Tattletail's trigger get, gets this 
get gets to be probably it just seems more like what it actually was yeah i wonder if there's a reason for that yeah i, I do too actually i was that just occurred to me just now but but yeah i mean everyone else's gets like put through the ringer even Sveta's. yeah yeah speaking of which speaking um, of which uh so a group of kids banter rudely with each other as they put vulgar words up on the kiosks and scrape obscenities onto the decorative fake rocks in the background the fallen arrive uh again this is a constant background presence though though the characters themselves rarely pay attention to it and then uh, nadia slips in her angry uh sad graffitiing and she falls off the ladder mm-hmm so this is set to trigger event. Um, and, and this is, you know, rule of three. Once we get to the third one, we've noticed a pattern and we can start to suss out a hypothesis. Right. And this is why this is why I think the structure of this is, is so brilliant, Matt, because we start with Victoria. It's a trigger event we the reader have never seen, but we know a lot about it. Right. Like. More importantly, we're in Victoria's head. So we get confirmation from her that this is wrong, but close. So it establishes that role. Then we go to Lisa, another trigger event we know about, but have never seen. We don't have a point of view to point out what's specifically different, but the text specifically draws our attention to some of the differences, the juxtaposition of them all. So we, we, we get that spelled out for us. Then we get Sveta. And here's for the third one. This is a trigger well, not a trigger, but this is an event that we've seen before, right? We've seen the scene on the the side, playing on the rocks next to the water and everything that goes down there. We've seen it. So we know, we know exactly what is different here. They're instead of playing on rocks next to their little village by the ocean, they're, they're on these fake rocks in front of a mall. Um, and, and this is when things start to get interesting, right? Because this is, first of all, uh, Sveta did not trigger in the normal way. Sveta was a cauldron cape. She was given a vial and, uh, that's how that went down. Um, so we kind of get the feeling that out of anyone that it's seen, this shard doesn't know what to do with this and how to mesh it into what it understands. Right. Because this is also very different. The way it goes down, the way the event goes down is not quite what it was be- before. Right. Like some of the emotions are there. Um, but, but we don't see the Sveta that like, we don't see the Sveta that felt responsible in the same way that we saw in that moment. Right. I I think some of the emotions are actively rejiggered and and reapportioned because my recollection is that her, her, what brother or, or whatever, the, the other little boy who was there was the one who got sad and offended. And then he fell yeah, I mean, he he, he is the one that falls here. It is not her that falls. Oh, it's not her that falls. No, oh, no. I, oh, wow, I'm shitty at reading. OK, <laughs> um, but but she is the one who is upset, right? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but in reality, she or in, in that we don't actually know what happened in reality, but in her previous dream or memory or whatever, uh, she wasn't upset by that. I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, so so Sveta's this this memory was um she was she was giving her she was giving was it her brother i think it was her brother she's giving her brother a hard time she's making fun of him and therefore he went out and tried to be more reckless and dangerous to prove something and then he right. fell and got hurt and then right. she felt responsible for that um, well and then she went after and him she went after him. him yeah but yeah. but in this but, but what i'm what i'm saying is in this dream in this dream isn't she the one that falls off the ladder i don't think so okay well um we're going to have to figure this out <laughs> later. All right. 
Um, but anyway, it's different. I'm pretty sure it's different in subtle ways. Yeah, I mean, there's there was one thing I want to point out here, though, that is very, very telling, though, is someone says to her. You're looking good, Nadia, almost like you're a real girl, which is literally like taking all her future shit and putting it into this vision. Right. Because that that is not a concern. That was not a concern of the Sveta of that time frame. Um, and of course, her name is Nadia here when it, that was not her name back then either. So like these little subtle changes, I think, are really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, that, that, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Um, OK. So moving on to blah, blah, blah. Yes. The next one. Uh, we have a girl vomiting in the mall bathroom, uh, then coming out to meet a large, much older man outside who buys her some ice cream, uh, which she obviously doesn't want. And I'm, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure that I'm keyed into the exact fucked up head game that he's playing here, but basically the broad strokes are he's massively overfeeding her and like pressuring her to eat when she obviously doesn't want to eat. And then repeatedly offering like dangerous temptations to take her away from her father, which I don't think he really means. Um, it's, it's very fucked up dynamic. Oh, it's, and sh- she's having a horrible time. It's it's monstrous. This this man is a monster. This yeah. Keith, like he he's he's coming off as a very like kind of white knighty person. I think he looks at himself as the person who is saving her from this terrible life. Um, he he says specifically that he knows her father pay like accepts payment to take out his daughters and his wives. Um, thus implicating him in what he's doing. In in, in that's what's happening here, right? That he's paid Heartbreaker to take out this child who Uh I don't, I'm not sure how old she is here. Like six, maybe like really young, right? Like really uncomfortably young. She's just disgusting. Like he's, uh, it's so creepy and terrible. Um, and just like the constant feeding. And I think, I think if you asked Keith what he was doing, um, I think he would say he's, he's doing well by this girl. Look, he's giving her treats and he's taking her out and he's taking away from this terrible life. And look, he'll save her. All she has to do is give the word and I'll save you. And if you want me to take your sister with you, I'll save her too. I'll do it. It's for you. It's, it's monstrous. It's terrible. And of course this is candy, right? Who we know her power is specifically to give people uh, hallucinations as if they're experiencing the thing that they love the most. And then it will uh, absolutely destroy their ability to love that thing. Um, and Mm -hmm. here she's been plied with absurd amount of ice cream to the point where her stomach is sick and she's having to force it down. I mean, that's the most disgusting part, right? Like her stomach is flipping. She's just puked everything in her stomach up. And just the idea of eating more ice cream is revolting to her. And yet she's still doing it because she's so afraid and ugh, ugh, I hate this. I hate it. Um, wasn't she the one who, who had the letters to her dad's friend um, that Kinsey read that yeah. she was supposed to read. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's that a, could that's be this guy. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of her, her recovery, I, mm-hmm. I think. But yeah, of course, this is now in the shopping center, right? So now, the thing that I like about this is now that after three, we've kind of started to get an understanding of what's going on. So now the text can be a little looser with the mystery and can just be a little more upfront with the specific emotions of the people. And of course, now we're seeing people who we were completely unaware of what their trigger events were, right? Like we, Victoria, Lisa, 
Sveta, we knew. We knew what happened to these people, generally. we Some of them we didn't see it, but we knew it. Here's the first one where we had no idea how this went down. This is completely new to us, but the text is confident enough that after the first three, we've kind of started to get the gist that it can move into these. And I think that's good structuring. Like, if you had started with Candy, I think the confusion would have lessened the emotional impact of the horror of what's happening here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, you're still a little bit. Con- uh, I wouldn't say confused. You're still you're still trying to put together exactly what's going on. Yeah. Um, um, but but I think I think by this point, you're like, I get it. The mall. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, you can focus. You can focus on the trigger events themselves. Yeah. Um, next, Darlene is pulled by her father Ugh. into the special event space in the bowels of the mall. Heartbreaker is never actually described. Only his voice is described, which is awesome. Um, he's fucking evil. Holy shit. He, he mind whamming whammies all the girls, uh, all the guests at a girl's birthday party. And then she forced and then he forces Darlene to pick who she likes and who she doesn't like. And explicitly, this is this is one of those tests. Remember how Regent told us about the fucked up tests yep. that his dad would do? Yep. This is one of those. So now we get a little bit more sympathy for Alec, I guess. Um, uh, and he, and this, this ends with, we are a family, my Darlene, that is all you will ever need. Yes. Uh, have or need. Yes. Blood ties us together. Consanguinity. Uh, I hate which it. Which is her power, right? I mean, this is yeah. a perfectly, that is horribly fucked up way is, for her power to make sense. That is, that is literally like the, the idea of connection and, uh, God, and I, yeah, I, I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, the interesting thing is like, we know she had, like, she has a thing with being tied up, right? We know that specifically, and we don't see that here. So that seems like something that maybe happened before this moment. Um, yeah, but I I love, I love what you said about like only his voice, like he, his, he's like a presence here, not in the physical sense, but in the complete overbearing, overpowering sense where even his voice even just his voice, we don't need to describe him in the scene because he's there. He's in every part of it. And it's, it's, oh, it's the worst. It makes me, I'm so disgusted. Like the fact that like what she has to do to this one kid uh, who she doesn't like because he said, I smelled funky, is uh-huh. extinguish him, Darlene whispered. That, Matt, like, oh, it's horrible. Yeah, what, what, and as like a kid and basically she's, doing this because it's better than whatever heartbreaker is going to do to the kid. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is, which is the most fucked up thing. Right. Yeah. It, it, uh, it, it's, it's disgusting. Like, yeah, I wish, I wish this guy wasn't dead so we, we could kill him again. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, it, yeah. Right. Any, any reservations we had about imp going off on her own and doing this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we just have to contextualize this and like, she, she doubtless heard all these stories from Regent. Mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this guy's dead. Yeah. And I'm remembering something about how like they after Re- Regent left, the other kids were punished. Right. Um, and and, and yeah, I think so. this this strikes me as the type of thing Heartbreaker would do after he's lost some of his kids to remind his kids about how they're connected. We are family. Right. This is all you will ever have or need. Yes. So this could be a direct result of some of the other kids leaving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it fits really well. I'm glad you said that because it seems like if, if Heartbreaker was obsessing about that idea, right, it, it would yeah. be because someone left. Fucking monster. Ugh. I know. <sighs> okay. <laughs> on to <laughs> something on. more lighthearted. Yeah, sure. Um, so the explosions from the terrorist attack begin 
and Aiden runs through the mall looking for the adults who are meant to take care of him, but he can't find them. And he's saved by a man with a thick beard, old-fashioned glasses, a piercing in his nose, and kind eyes. Snag lifts him to a safe place, but then Aiden is left stranded there. Oh, kind eyes. Yeah, so remember the other day when I talked about how like I never cry or tear up when reading? Mm-hmm. For some reason, that sentence where it described Snag as having kind eyes was just absolutely emotionally gutting to me. And I like had to stop for a second. I don't know why. I think it's just because it's such a tragic idea, like what Snag turns into. And then even now after he, he, I mean, I kind of assume this is like Snag ghost. Like this isn't just a, a figment. This is, this is Snag trapped in shard hell basically. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. You made you, it worse. Well, that was what I assumed. Like this is this is Shard Hell Snag. This is um he he's actively still trying to save the kid that he finds in the maze. You know. Yeah, I guess I, I guess to a certain definition of of that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, th- I mean, I think you're right. This did not affect me. I think it's fascinating how how sometimes things just emotionally hit you in ways you didn't expect. But I yeah. th- the kind eyes there. I mean, that is something that was established about Snag before. But yeah, yeah. It, it's it's really tragic. And I mean, the, the interesting thing about this whole thing is that Aiden, like we we didn't really know exactly how Aiden triggered. But if I'm remembering correctly, I looked this up. And so I hope I I, I can read. But um he basically said he had a nightmare, an old nightmare he hadn't had in a long time. And when he woke up, he was like sleepwalking and then it happened. That's all we really knew. But so we see the event here is basically um, he ends up really high. Like he's he's put on a high place and he's stuck up there. And it says right when it cuts off from his chapter, it says something to the effect of um, the the little bit of of. Um, space turned into like five stories so it was like only 10 feet and it turned into five stories so he's up really high which uh which could be you know interpreted as why you would want birds if you're really high up you'd want to fly because you can't get down um interesting but we don't we don't know the detail exactly of exactly how he triggered so this is one again that i think is put here near the end because we started to really get what was going on. And I think, I think yeah. this is the moment we, when we bring snag into it and we specifically say, this is snag. We now know what's happening. We now know, okay, this is the shopping center, not just a shopping center. That's happened to be here. This is the shopping center. This is the fallen attack. And every trigger event has been placed on top of this event. Yeah. The connective tissue, the, yeah. the context. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really like this idea that, um, you know, he, he, this, once again, we're focusing on the emotions rather than the actual events. And the sure. emotion is he's isolated. He's, he's impossibly isolated almost like, like if a little kid wakes up like literally outside, doesn't know where they are. Um, they don't know how they're going to get back home and, and they will reach out Right. And, and connect sure. to a whole bunch of bird minds. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I like to sense. think I, I don't think it's it's stated explicitly, but my headcanon for this is like he slept walk onto your roof and he like woke uh-huh. up and he's just like on a roof somewhere <laughs> and on the roof of the building he was in, like maybe near the edge or something. And it's like, oh, sh- oh shit. Yeah. I do like this idea. Mm-hmm. So the next one is another one where I think that um, the shard is having to make some adjustments because it's such a this shard has is probably very confused about what the hell's going on too yeah um but um so ashley is beaten by her father as the panicked mob surges around them 
says Ashley turned her head and she stared past her longer hair at herself, small and short-haired. She cringed, fearing the next blow, and the other stood a little taller. Come on, he shouted, gripping them by the arm. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my so, god. Like, everything about this is is bonkers. Yeah, it's we we could spend an hour talking about this because I mean this is fascinating. So like yeah. basically the situation here is there's a space for one of them to hide, but there's only room for one of them and her dad is there beating her and telling her pick which one of you you want it to be. Which one of you survives? That's what's happening here. Yeah. And holy shit, like that's I mean that's it's a wonderful way to illustrate exactly what's going on with damsel right now is that like the struggle that she's pretending like she's totally got a handle on that i think we saw in the last chapter uh, hints towards maybe she doesn't have as much of a handle on it as she thought and this is the dilemma and she's paralyzed by this choice she cannot make this choice and each each time each punch each hit from her father makes her smaller and makes the short-haired aka swan song version of herself uh, stand a little taller um grow a little bit um yeah assert herself a little bit more yeah and and basically be something that i think damsel envies and would rather be like yeah but, yeah but can't because she's still ruled by fear mm-hmm. and i mean the the language here i don't think i'm reading too much into this <laughs> gripping them by the arm okay it's not gripping them by the arms that would imply a man with two hands gripping one arm of each of his two children <laughs> it's not gripping her by the arm, which would imply him grabbing one of Damsel's arms. It's gripping them, plural, by the arm, singular, implying, <laughs> implying gripping a, yeah. both of them by the by arm. The arm, yeah. right? It's it's just this really fascinating way of conveying this duality um, in <laughs> uh suffixes <laughs> yeah no i think you're i think you're 100 percent right there i i love i love that i don't think i picked up on that specifically i definitely picked up on like uh, you know arms are something very important to the oh, whole totally. to the whole uh, to ashley's whole thing to so Ashley specifically and to grasping dude yeah, head. Yeah. yeah yeah which which i mean we'll get to that in a second but i did yeah. i did do my old control find for hand in this chapter Uh just to see how many times hands are mentioned it's a lot hands are mentioned in this chapter a whole lot matt Uh, i think there's like 40 something instances of the word hand used compared (laughs) to the previous couple chapters where there was like 20 and like 15 so an elevated amount of hand references here okay good to know Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was awesome uh, again, not really her trigger event, right? No, it's, no it's not been at all. Re, it's, it's been put in a blender. Uh, some of the elements are there, but some of them are new things. Yeah, her dad being there is definitely a part of it. So, of course, her dad is there. But yeah, it it reflects. I think you're right that it reflects the confusion. Like, what do I do with this? There seems to be two. What? What? Why? Yeah. Uh, right. This, Why do I have to choose? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Kinsey next is buffeted by the crowd. Her foster dad tried to hold on to her, but in her panic, she accidentally injures one with skin under her nails, uh, which is a visual motif that repeats twice in this chapter. Earlier, Mm -hmm. it was Rex's skin under Tattletail's nails. Um, And yeah, it reminds us, of course, of the focus on hands in Cradle's interlude, Mm -hmm. uh, which was something that I I don't think I noticed at all. You you absolutely nailed. That is absolutely very, very evident in that interlude. Yeah. Um, And the violence of of her panic of her trying to hold on to her dad's 
is what causes them to hesitate just long enough that they lose her. Yeah. Which is yeah. emotionally exactly what happened. Yeah. I, I love it. I love I love the skin under the nails motif repeating both. I love you're absolutely right that the emotional core and that's that's the that's the center of this whole thing, right? Is that the 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 specifics of the trigger events are are bended around this new thing, but that emotional core is uh, I was trying too desperately to hold on and I hurt them and that hurt caused them to hesitate just long enough, just a little bit, just long enough for us to be ripped apart forever. Um, and it's all my fault. And that is just perfect writing, but just absolutely devastating. Like, right. I was not prepared for this chapter, Matt. I really wasn't like I was all like so excited. I was so excited for this concept of the dream room. It's like, well, we're going to invade shard space and it's going to be cool as shit we're gonna be fighting the shards in their own planet and i forgot about this whole trigger dream thing i totally forgot about I it did too and then yeah. it's just oh uh, <laughs> yeah right it, it's like it's like a surprise interlude almost right because yeah, you're yeah. getting different perspectives sort of sort of yeah um yeah we haven't we haven't mentioned that one thing victoria is doing throughout this whole thing is like interjecting with thoughts every once in a while and and usually there are ways in which the text allows it to clarify something for us so someone's calling someone candace and victoria specifically says candy i'm so sorry she identifies tattletale for us in case we hadn't just gotten there she identifies snag for us but it also is just her noting how this is emotionally affecting her which i think is important yeah yeah, the, the the whole idea of this dream room is fascinating because basically it's boiling down these people's trauma into a kernel that will hurt them just as much while being very, very simplified. But what it's also doing, which you almost have to assume the shards don't understand, is it's allowing them to share this with each other yeah. and, and, and thus come to a place of... Um, shared um healing right yeah because at first it was only showing them at first it was only showing them the the shit that was gonna make them mad at each other right Mm -hmm. or or at least it was only showing them what what was gonna make them mad at rain it was underemphasizing the mama mather stuff for example sure but now it's just almost it, it it's so stripped down and i think maybe this has to do with the inclusion of colt i don't know but it's so stripped down that it's just it's just empathy generating. Yeah, I think I, you're right. And I think that's what this is doing. I absolutely like if, if we if we step back a moment, maybe we should finish finish yeah. up poor Tristan and Byron first before we step sure. back and talk which, about this as a whole. Which is a pretty short one. Yeah. But um, yeah, Tristan, he's trapped under the unconscious Byron in the stampede. Uh, Byron's arm crushing his throat and Tristan stabs his brother to try to wake him. But kind of the, the the text kind of makes the point stabs him maybe more times than makes sense <laughs> yeah 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 it does um i mean the interesting thing about this again you know we talk about the emotionality of the scene and and it's a recreation of the scene but it is it's changed a little bit right because it, this text specifies as the the pressure on tristan's throat was involuntary right um first of all it doesn't know what to do because byron's unconscious and the shard's like i don't I don't get that. What's what? Huh? Uh, what's going on here? And so it it throw it recreates the situation, but with an unconscious Byron. But it the fact that the choking was involuntary to me, my read on this is a a, a changed understanding of the concept of blame in this whole situation, right? Because I think I think if if you would have had maybe a Tristan from an earlier version of the story 
explain the trigger event. He would have said, my brother was fucking choking me. He was trying to kill me and I stabbed him because of it. And now the the pressure on Tristan's throat in this version of it is involuntary. There's a lack of blame there, a lack of intent, a lack of purpose in what Byron is doing to Tristan right now, Um, which reflects, I think, the changing nature of their relationship. And I, I adore that. And because it's from Tristan's point of view and we're capturing the emotionality of what was painful about this, maybe what's painful about this from Tristan's point of view is that he stabs his brother mm-hmm. again and again, even after he doesn't need to. Yeah. So, so again, the shard is sort of saying like, oh, so, so you had your trigger event, but what I can really use to fuck with you is your feelings of guilt toward the way you treated your brother. Yeah. I guess one that we, we do have to step back because I, I, I'm, I got a little lost in this. Yeah. We do have to remember that we are still in Victoria's point of view, right? Yeah. Like, so true. we are seeing this. So, so it is Victoria that notes that the pressure on Tristan's throat was involuntary, not Tristan himself that notes that. Right. Um, but I still think we can, we can, we can attach meaning to that scene. For uh, sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how, how, I don't know how else you would write that to convey that it was super obvious that, that Byron's unconscious and couldn't possibly be doing this on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, and maybe this is this is a pretty minor detail, and I don't actually remember. But I feel like I feel like after Colt started being in the, in the circle, the 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 nature of the dreams became a bit different. They did, um, yeah. They did it, alter it a little bit in a way such that like maybe um, Victoria's getting a little bit of bleed through in terms of what the people were actually experiencing and thinking. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So awesome, <laughs> awesome stuff. I mean painful and and monstrous and yeah. harrowing um incredibly good writing just a, a series of gut punches and then a fucking clown car of capes spills out of the doors of the mall into rain's dream where he just laughs at them desperately mm-hmm. and um, then they enter the dream room yep uh, victoria has no costume or sorry has her costume but no power um the watchdog emerges a monster made of reaching limbs it's all a grasping self hey buddy and victoria's like cradle help and uh, cradle doesn't help of course cradle doesn't help what were we thinking cradle's <laughs> just gonna be a good guy now no Cradle's gonna be like oh this is awesome i can kill literally all of my enemies <laughs> at once hooray thanks guys um yeah so that's that's how the chapter ends is cradle the the uh, curse your inevitable betrayal um but so as we wrap up i want to get back to that high level conversation right i want to talk about what we've just done in this chapter and why we've just done it and i think this is really fascinating because one of the things i think about you know we have these trigger events we have these these moments of each each individual people's worst experiences their life and i immediately in my head go back to worm and i go back to that conversation fugly bobs where they were talking about trigger and 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 taylor didn't realize that it was kind of gauche to talk to someone about what happened to them and there's this idea that existed in the world of capes that you don't talk about your trigger you don't talk about your trauma you don't share that with people and i don't think that was a good thing i don't think like not i don't think like not sharing this the, the stuff you're struggling with with the people you care about is a good idea and that was just the general this is how things worked and now in this story we've had all of our main characters all of our most important characters directly experiencing a version of the worst moment of each other's life together 
Yeah. They've all felt the, the way it feels. They've all seen what happened and how it went down. They all know everything that happened to each other. And I think I think that is in the end going to be a good thing. I think it is going to lead to an understanding amongst characters that never would have been possible beforehand. Yeah, right. I, I think that I mean, is it fair to say like this is kind of what you're building to when you start a superhero story about a bunch of therapy superheroes? Yeah, I mean, they like just that, went through the fucking most intense group therapy session of all time. Right, right, right. Exactly. It's 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 telepathy, right? It's yeah. basically telepathy. So the, the way we solve the world's problems is we get Kenzie and we hook every human being across all planes of existence up to this dream room and uh-huh. we just spend a couple years just going one by one through uh-huh. everyone's worst issue uh-huh. and then everyone understands everyone yeah, and we're it, good. Yeah. No, Problem there's nothing solved. There's nothing wrong with that idea, Scott. And I applaud you for thinking of it <laughs> and saying it so brave and so true. <laughs> so brave. All right. Um, I mean, honestly, I feel like we could actually talk about everything happening in that chapter for a lot longer, but yeah, but we're not gonna, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I just like, let's, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. It's a great idea. Yeah. I hadn't even considered it because I totally forgotten about the dream stuff. Um, there is, there is a, a power to that shared experience. And I think I'm really excited to see how this plays out because like I said, I think through seeing what happened to Tattletale, Victoria has, has gotten an understanding of Lisa. She never had before, you know, Victoria is a smart person and she's gonna, she's gonna take the, the talk about suicide and how Tattletale feels about suicide, how Tattletale feels about Taylor, how Tattletale feels about Chicken Little. And she's going to take her trigger event and she's going to map out understanding of this person that she never had before. And and I think understanding of that kind only leads to empathy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Totally. I mean, we we uh, I don't think it's a, you know, accident that we saw the moment that she realizes this is Tattletale and, and thinks this very like what what I read is just a very deep emotional like yeah. I'm, I'm sorry this happened I'm, to you. Type. I'm so sorry this happened to you. Yeah. 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 So I mean I yeah, I mean I think it's gonna change their relationship, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think if it can have the power to change the relationship between Lisa and Victoria, it can change all of these relationships forever. Yeah. I think so. All right, Scott, let's get into the discussion question part of the show. All right. So last week's question was Let's talk about Natalie's new cape laws. Is this the best possible law enforcement paradigm? And how would you design or improve upon it? And uh, a lot of you uh, just answered the first part of that question. So you're going to (laughs) get a C right off the top. And we're only going to deduct points from there. Man, I love love when we grade people. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, go, go ahead, Scott. All right. First up, we have Sarah Penguin, who uh, makes several good points. For one, a big bounty never stopped the Slaughterhouse Nine. And Matt's counterpoint here is because Cauldron didn't want them to, which that uh, touche, Matt. Touche. Uh-huh. Sure, sure. Uh, you still can't go after capes aligned with Teacher or the Red Queen. There will still be concentrations of villains that can't outright be attacked. The impossible idea of Utopia would be to get each new parahuman a therapist before their trauma leads them to a life of crime. The best feasible solution would be something like the old PRT with PRT directorates and protectorate leaders working as equals. Uh, I like that. I like, I mean, the idea of like, obviously, and I think Sarah admitted this in her answer that 
therapy is not going to solve every single problem. It's not going to make every single bad guy no longer a bad guy, but uh, it certainly will help a, a large amount of people. And I think one of the things that this book has always, uh, you know, championed is the idea of the positivity of 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 therapy and help uh, in in that regard. So, yeah, yeah, I think that um, this is a really good answer. Full marks, Sarah Penguin. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, like, like we're actually going to see this theme in a few different answers. The idea that like a bounty will only work on lower level villains Mm -hmm. and, um, that may be true. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll see Uh, other people have interesting, uh, twists on this. So let's see if we can get through this. So, uh, beat, beat nemesis very helpfully TLDRs their post by saying (laughs) villains were already mostly cut off from the economy by dint of being villains. The bounty laws will mostly just turn up the lethality when they defend their possessions. Um, so basically, they are finding a particular negative externality of this of this policy. Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. I mean, I think that one result of, of taking away what people want the most is they're going to defend that thing more rig- rigorously if they get it. So, yeah. Right. It's it's uh, I mean, I see there being knock on effects like if you murder someone for their stuff. Maybe now you're viewed as an outlaw or like a worse level of outlaw mm-hmm. and you get a kill order. I don't know. Um, but I, I think the general gist of this answer is is probably fairly accurate. Um, yeah. Maybe the humans are like, yep, so be it. Yeah. So months for college uh, didn't have a lot of good words for Natalie and her legal system. <laughs> uh, they said one of the best weapons a motivated group can use to fuck with their political opponents is the authority to seize assets and property. It's been used as a means to put pressure on on disenfranchised people since time immemorial. And now it's in place to be used against parahumans, villain or otherwise. Basically, uh, they, they look at the system as a very, very abusable system, which has handed the anti-parahumans a tool to fuck with all of the parahumans they don't like, which... Uh, yeah, I could see that. I, I could see how how it, how it could be abused in, in terrible ways. Yeah, right. It, it's um, and it's a way of basically getting capes to do your dirty work to sure. take out other capes. Right. Sure, I, sure. I, I definitely see the, the, the proneness to abuse. Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the part the part that I'm most interested in um, is. Is. What what's a, what's a better option, though? That's what yeah. I was that's what I was kind of hoping. So even if I kind of agree with you that this, this isn't great. Um, what's, what's, what could, what could we do? That's better. What's better. Yeah. Uh, l- 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 there's, there's some, there's some interesting takes later on. Um, sure. We'll, yeah, we'll get to those. Yeah. Uh, Daedalus fallen says the problem is that this only works for low level villains, uh, like maybe hollow point tier or lower villain groups. Uh, for the same reason, big companies are able to get away with the quote unquote expenses incurred by breaking laws while small companies are not. Uh, Daedalus Fallen also thinks that um, there's there's no such thing as a best system, basically, because there's no such thing as an objective best. Um, although yeah. I would say, you know, if that also implies there's no better or worse, which sure. implies that Natalie's system is the best. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't look as best as like best objectively. Cosmically. Like, I just yeah. like the best possible. Like, what is the best possible thing they could do? You know, yeah, right. right. Give, given given their situation, given everything that's going on, what is the absolute best possible legal system they could create? Uh, is this it? And if it's not, what do you think? What do you think is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the omnipotent. Why did I say it that way? The omnipotent. 
Sometimes your brain turns off. The Omnipotent yeah. says it's the best possible paradigm for Cape Wild West shenanigans. They would empower non-Capes as sheriffs to enforce bounties, maybe mainly because it would be more fun. Hey, I like that answer. Yeah, this is the fun option. Yeah. Uh, Anti-Chris says it's bad. People who are deemed non-compliant will view the system as turning against them, uh, quote unquote, even if they aren't Taylor. And it only incentivizes worse behavior. This question made me think for a while. This answer made me think for a while, actually, because I'm like, doesn't like, couldn't you say all law enforcement efforts incentivize worse behavior in the sense that you're always incentivized to like run from the cops? Like if the cops are coming to arrest you, you're always incentivized to like if if you're a criminal, you're always incentivized to be a worse criminal. (laughs) But 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 like. But like I, I'm not, I'm not just saying Antichrist is wrong. I, I'm kind of being like, well, I, I do see how this has unique, um, this has a unique ability to make you feel like everybody is against you. Like, like everybody is against you, not just the cops. Yeah, I mean that's that's really funny because I think a lot of our legal system's harshest penalties are put in place specifically to dissuade people from committing those crimes. Um, and you're basically saying that. That doesn't actually work, which I kind of think you're right. I mean, I, I, I don't think I don't think people don't murder people because of how many years they'll get in prison. Right. Like in general, I don't think like the number of years you'll get in prison is cognizant when you're committing the crime. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm like, if you if you if you kill if you kill a law enforcement officer, the penalty is uh, you somehow don't make it back to the jail. <laughs> yeah, the penalty is you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it was an answer that I almost dismissed as like, no, I disagree. And then I like thought about it a lot and was like, well, this is, yeah, this is, a, this is a tricky one. That is, um, that is interesting. And I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure I can get a place where I'm, I'm fully settled on, on it because I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I also like the, I mean, the, the thing is that, regardless we need the laws in place right yeah yeah i'm coming down really firmly on the stance of it's complicated (laughs) it's a really great it's a really great stance yeah uh hobo demon says that the legal system is reminiscent of that of iceland with bounty hunters collecting war gold what's that i don't know i mean i think this is ancient iceland by the way i'm I'm not actually sure like not modern day iceland i I actually have no idea it would be totally awesome if modern day iceland still worked this way rather than relying on uncooperative defectors to turn up in court it implies a shift back to a collectivized civilization towards libertarian confederalism hoedemon wonders if this is part of somebody's plan maybe dynast to sow humanity to the winds they also throw in a dope stranger stranger in a strange land reference yeah I, i like this post a lot um very cool like just the, the idea the idea is like we're we're actually regressing back to like the kind of legal system that would be used in um in a in a more spread out and and uh, uh kind of socially atomized i mean that they use the word con- confederalism basically like a confederation of many states rather than one super city mm-hmm. um, this is the kind of law law enforcement you would need for something like that yeah i mean it's to to, to go back to our our answer from omnipotent it's it's kind of a wild west type of law enforcement thing where exactly um the, everyone's too spread out too decentralized to have any kind of standing legal authority that can actually enforce stuff so you're relying on on certain actors mm-hmm. in bounty hunters and sheriffs quote unquote yeah 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 
I mean, basically heroes become bounty hunters under this framework. I, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, EXE JPEG Windows Media Video uh, says, society can't afford a more lenient way of dealing with parahumans. At this point, they need to struggle to be heard by the capes on their own side. And there may be no pragmatic better paradigm at this point. Hmm. So basically their answer, that they, they actually get full marks because their answer is no, there's no better answer. There's no better way to do this. Well, there we go. Yeah. I like it. Uh, Death of the Artist again points out that this policy promotes a bad status quo. Weak small-time villains get repeatedly robbed. People like Lung, who aren't worth attacking, run around unimpeded. The pro side is the heroes support themselves more, quote-unquote, directly. Uh, Matt really likes their suggested modifications to this, though. Provide a large reward for villains that turn hero or new capes who go hero and submit themselves to existing hero organizations. This gives heroes more legal leeway to make this a more attractive option. Next, escalate the stakes. Issue kill orders more readily. Repeat murders like murderers like Kaiser or Lung should qualify for a kill order. Imagine if we could just have the patrol block set up a sniper and blow away Kaiser from half a mile away. (laughs) Yeah, that would that would be great. Third, arm the populace. If you literally can't disarm the criminal element, you have to arm the victims. That's scary to me. I don't know if I like that. I mean, I am I'm going to give them an A plus for thinking about this problem outside the box. And uh, I mean, it's an interesting notion. Like if you if you can't have a uh, powers free zone, right? The 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 villains are always going to have their powers. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the, the idea of a, yeah, that, that, that idea doesn't exist. Yeah. I I think the idea of, of escalating the kill orders also reminds me of wild west, right? Like dead or alive, you know, um, just, just, just shoot him and bring him, bring him in and, you know, we'll sort it out. Yeah. Um, I wonder, I mean, I wonder if the central problem that they had, especially early was this idea of them trying to stand up a government that looked very much like the old government in a land that was just inherently less civilized and, uh, uniform, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you not know, to say that the system was even working well back in the day. The, as you said last week, the only reason it was as successful as it was was because it had this incredibly powerful person backing it and forcing it to go the way to 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 to, to survive for just as long as yeah. as they needed it to. Yeah, this idea of the large reward for people who either turn hero or start hero, I, I I kind of think of this and I'm like, well, what if society just, I mean, parahumans are pretty rare. Mm-hmm. What if society just decided like, fuck it, we'll just, we'll just pay them. <laughs> we'll, we'll just pay you. If you're a parahuman, it's like you won the fucking lottery. You get a salary basically. And it's a pretty good one. And if you start being an asshole, we revoke your salary. So you really lose all your incentive for being a villain if like you're being super well taken care of already right like i don't know if they have the resources to actually do that like that's that's probably the biggest problem with this idea is yeah this is the post-apocalypse so what the fuck are they going to do with the salary um but in principle in principle i, I think like that I, I i mean i think that that's a general i think that's in line with a lot of what studies say about crime in general right which is that most crime is is a crime of lack of or lack of resources and of need right so if if you just pay if you just give everyone everything they need um nobody's gonna do any crime of course that's not entirely true there are going to be outliers that just do it for the sake of doing it and the problem with capes is those outliers um can be extremely more deadly and terrible than uh, just a normal person who says screw you i'm gonna live outside society just because i want to um so yeah yeah 
And that's where the kill order comes in. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, All but right. I don't think that, I mean, like that's, I think, I think that's, I just, I, I think in a per, in an idealized world, yeah, that would absolutely solve the problem. I don't, I don't think, I don't think so. I do not right. think so. I mean, the kill order on Siberian, you know, eventually worked, I guess. Yeah. Like after um, many, many after horrible deaths. Many, yes. Right. Farm Fresh Hornets says this is probably the best we're going to get. Millions of people are literally on the run. So there uh, there needs to be a like passive measures that actually stand a chance. Something has to make being a villain seem less sexy and easy. Mm-hmm. And this seems like a candidate for that. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I like their concept of, of being passive rather than active because like, yeah, they don't have the energy to be active about this. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things that I don't know if we directly talked about it last week, but one of the things that Natalie basically said is this might just be too little too late. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're evacuating. Everyone's leaving. Like we do we even have the authority to pass laws anymore? Right. Like who's going to listen to this when everyone's leaving? Like it, it might we might have just done this too late. Oops. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, lastly, but certainly not least, Data Snake 69 is one of the few who directly addresses how the new policy creates a perverse incentive by turning criminals into a source of revenue. And it means that law is essentially optional for anyone who can afford to just pay the fines. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. It seems like you'd have to put some um, uh, some guards into the system against that yeah. kind of exploitation. I like yeah. how I like how a lot of these answers looked at the system and said, OK, like, on the surface, the way Natalie sold it, that seems reasonable. But you got to think you got to think about the ways in which people will abuse stuff, because that's always going to happen right. in any system. There's going to be people that look at it and say, oh, here's how I can do this. And and a lot of our answers are people specifically looking at it and saying, all right, here's how people are going to fuck with this. Um, and I, I think that's really fascinating. So thank you all for doing that. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, I, I almost feel like you could find perverse incentives in literally any conceivable criminal justice system yeah i think so um, or or policing system like just because it's like okay you're paying some people to put other people in jail like yeah. that, that 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 automatically that's it <laughs> yeah so anyway um yeah but don't just don't no for-profit prisons i mean that's definitely can we uh, just not do help. that i watched well, orange the new black i'm basically an expert of that now yeah i mean i think our podcast has the <laughs> sway that we can just say we're we're done with we're done with for profit prisons now. Uh, we uh, we've got ward executive order, no no more. Yep. No more. Everyone, all you for profit prison companies, shut down right now. It is really a stupid idea. Can we just like that's? I don't want to get too political. The idea of making profit off of prisoners is the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard of in my entire life. Well, it just seems like one of those things that only ever happened because of corruption in the first place. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Um, you're welcome though. We solved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's discussion. the entire problem of the criminal justice system right yeah. there. There's no other, there's no other right. problems. Oh my God. All right. Discussion question for next week. Using dreams in storytelling can be hit or miss. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite use of dreams in fiction and why was it effective? Yeah. I really want to focus on why, because I get, well, frankly, that's just why I'm interested in things in general, but, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. I, I know of a lot of books where there'll be a dream sequence or, or, or movies, actually, where there'll be a dream sequence. And I'm just like, that just was kind of um, chaos. Like, I get you're telling me something about the mental state of the character, but it didn't feel elegant. Um, didn't feel anything like the, the way the way dreams are being used in this story, obviously. 
Um, so I thought I'd get a, a broader sampling of, of people, of, uh, of storytellers using dreams. Yeah, because I think there's going to be, I think you're right, there's going to be a, a lot of different ways in which dreams are depicted. Um, because I just think it's, it's, a, it's the space for almost infinite creativity. Yeah. Like you're, you, it, you basically create a space in which the rules of any world no longer apply. And yeah, right. Yeah, it almost suffers for a lack of constraints, right? Sure. Because constraints breed creativity. Yeah. Um, I can think of a few where, well, anyway, I'll let you guys answer. <laughs> and that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com. And remember, guys, that's where we want you to send the mailbag questions for the upcoming mailbag. Please send those to gotwormpod at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at GotWormPod. That's where you'll see my weekly live reads of the latest couple chapters. My personal Twitter is ScottDaily85, where you'll find me ranting about It Chapter 2. And Matt's is at Mordinamail, where you'll find Matt making fun of the iPhone. That's right. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find We've Got Ward on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. And of course, you can find all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. Every single show we produce each and every week will be right over there. And all you have to do is click that click that play button. Um, what, you, what show you want to talk about this week, Matt? Uh, well, uh, first of all, I, I, I'm going to mention that the words for do the right thing were move unused abaft and eraser matt what's an abaft abaft means like to the aft or behind the ship basically abaft like it doesn't necessarily have to be nautical it's like doing sit-ups on the back of a ship like you're you're abaft of you're abaft of the ship if you're behind the ship you only have to use three of those words you don't have to use abaft i chose to i chose to use abaft I took a risk. Oh, look at you go, Matt. Yeah. Um, and then didn't uh, didn't Media MD cover um, the boys recently? They covered the boys true? last week. Yeah. Yep, last yep, yep. last week was their episode on the boys. So if you've watched the boys and want to listen to a couple of Australians talk about it, go check out that episode. Um, we also on our Patreon, we're, I'm gonna I'm gonna brag about this because okay. um, the Media MD guys also did a quick. An analysis of a wild bow story about pact so yeah. that's it's a patreon exclusive so you're for patron and you haven't listened to that go to patreon.com and check out their little 20 minute analysis of a short story wild bow wrote um for do the right thing which is very cool i think the guys are very excited about that yeah um and of course you know just listen to everything we do yeah. just do and, it and i think i'm really excited to talk this week about uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. A lot of people are excited about this. I'm scared. I haven't watched the movie yet. I'm going to do it after we record this episode, and I'm going to tr- probably try to watch it a, a couple times, but I'm really nervous about this because oh. I love my M. Night. We're going to have a fun, fun talk, I think. I, okay. Okay. I'm worried that I'm worried that I'm just going to just going to blindly defend my boy. <laughs> That's you know what? I'm fine. I'm literally fine with any reaction. <laughs> All right. Um, well, anyway, if you like any of those 43 shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford, of course. Supporting us on Patreon gives you a lot of cool bonuses like the ability to vote in the upcoming fan art contest, mm-hmm. uh, hangout sessions 
with pretty much all the doof crew that we've we we did a fun uh online uh gaming thing last month we're gonna do uh, a, a different thing this month but it's still gonna be fun um and access to live streams of our recording sessions including this one and of course the excellent discord chat which is just a great place to hang out yeah and and we are a mere eight patrons away from hitting our next goal which is our dark tower series where we will do the we've got worm slash ward treatment to stephen king's magnum opus uh, some of my favorite books of all time i have been looking forward to doing this since we set this goal uh secretly wondering if we would ever get there and we are almost there and i'm so excited so you could be the the the, the patron that breaks the towers back that's right eight eight people eight people any level doesn't matter what level you're donating at it's just eight yep. more people to go. Yep. So as always, make sure you go over to Wildlow's Patreon at patreon.com slash Wildlow and donate, donate to him as well while you're over there. This is his world and we're just playing in it. Uh, for our part, special thanks this week to new patrons, uh, Bidoofs at the $1 level, uh, Michaela K, Sohaib M, Eric M, MC Minty Spice, <laughs> Brandon P, Ashley B, and Nick L., Doof Dancers at the 5 that level, Seshi, Ty K, and Brandon F, and a new Doof Troop member at the $10 level, Michael H. Wow, that's a lot of names. Yeah, We guys, really appreciate you guys. That's in one week? Thank you so much. Yeah, wow. Uh, just really appreciate it. And, and you've got us so close to this to this Dark Tower thing. I'm freaking out. Yeah, I'm, I'm freaking out because I have not... We've got a lot of work to do to get that show ready, um, but I'm so I'm so excited. I'm so excited about all this. I'm so excited about where this book is going. I'm so excited about where Doof is going, and I'm so excited that you guys uh, appreciate us enough to uh, to help us out. We really do appreciate it. you guys make this whole thing possible, and we we love you all. Thank you. And of course, if you cannot afford to donate, we still love you. We still love you just as much. Don't tell the other guys. Um, you can instead help us out by heading on over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leaving us a rating and review. Each one of those counts and helps uh, people find our show. It helps with uh, uh, algorithms, a logarithms, whatever you want to say. It helps mm-hmm. with all that stuff. Um, so yep. please do it. We no new review to read this week, but uh, hopefully there will be one next week because we love reading those, even if yep. they're mean. Don't do that. But yeah, please don't. But. There's probably some out there caught in that system of tubes that is the internet. Indeed. That's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. Next week, From Within continues. I can't wait. They're going to fight the hand man. Grasping hands. What's his name? I can't remember his name.